things, but... Yeah, like, the cardstock question is one of, you know, it's it's kind of grim, but then just the general... Like, it, it's alright if it's one or two, especially if they're, like, main name characters. You know, like, the odd Danny or Drogo or yeah. something. But I looked through Liam Hall's deck at Bristol, and he had uh, <laughs> Night's Watch Martell one. Yeah. And, like, it was, like, 50% fan-made old arts. I was like, I don't know what the fuck all these cards are. Like, this would just cause me absolute chaos. Like, it's just a fucking nightmare playing against it. It's just it's, not um, a hassle. And then when they're in, like, French or something, it's even... Yeah, I, even I, I, I did have that problem with the plots in the final at Blackwater, actually. <laughs> when exactly. he, he, flipped, he flipped calm, and I looked over and was like, Fi, okay, that looks like it's probably calm. And then he was... <laughs> He he was like, yeah, I choose intrigue. I was like, nailed it. And then he flipped counting <laughs> coppers. I couldn't even see what the fucking gold value on it was. It was, <laughs> it was just like, what the hell? Exactly. Is if you're guessing plots by stat lines, then there's an issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's very glazer, isn't it? Oh, I flipped the three one seven, and then yeah. came out of shadows, and I went into the two four two. It's like, well, that's very yeah. nice, isn't it? Isn't it glazer, you prick? <laughs> I mean, it's fine. One, I think it was Roy that said it was good for uh, remembering hotel rooms. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I'm in retaliation. Of course I am. <laughs> <laughs> other than that, it's not a good life skill. <laughs> oh, fuck, I'm next door in March to the Wall. His name is Craven. He likes white ravens. And he will always use them to reduce your gold. His name is Dave. He cancels saves. He likes to make the opposition have bad days. His name is Tom, he plays for fun And if you beat him then he'll punch you in the face It's the UK's fantastic podcast This episode's the worst so it's probably the last With unopposed to claim banter It's banter behind the throne Hello and welcome to Banter Behind the Throne. It's episode number 70, which means we're long and retired by now. So we are through today. I'm joined with Tony. Say hello, Tony, please. Hello, Tony, please. Thank you very much. And we're also joined by Mr. Dave. Hello. And myself, Mr. Peel, um, which sounds a little bit odd when I've used their first names. Today, we will be having a recap of Blackwater. Um between you know full tap including some interviews um you know a full review of the day just a general what happened where it was how it went down was it fun yes it was various things like that uh but to begin and to kick it all off we're doing it in a little bit of a different order we're going to discuss a couple of spoilers which have been sent our way Ooh, spoilers how lovely um so let's start off very promptly um and go over to mr dave who is going to talk about the first of the two um spoilers and let us know a couple of his thoughts so we have uh card 91 from this cycle so mm. he's from the next pack which i believe is oberon's revenge or something like Correct. that yeah lovely Correct. lovely and we have newt the barber and i tell you what he is looking angry he does look angry. He looks um, incredibly angry. You know, hand out, hand splayed, uh, hand axe in his other hand, ready to really go for it. Really cut his hair very, very fine in this picture. Mm. Um, if, you know, I'm not sure I'd trust him to cut my hair. No, but no, no. he seems competent at shaving heads, certainly. So if, you, if you're concerned about balding, 
um, about becoming bold, then uh, he is the man to go to because he can make a, a mighty fine, smooth head for you. Do you think he shaves with the uh, the handbags? I, I really hope he does. And he presumably uses, like, salt water as opposed to shaving foam or anything like that. Um, well, that's the very limited. Yeah, very limited stuff in Westeros, really. Um, I mean, it does look like a cloudy day, though, so it might have just been inappropriate timing. You never know. He might have a lavish selection of uh, oils and foams. Mm-hmm. I, I hope so. Well, what do you think to him, Tony? Well, he's a card, isn't he? I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a card. Definitely a card. Nudge, nudge. He's he's a card. Uh, yeah, I quite like him. He's got he's got some good numbers. Um, I quite I quite like the icons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. How you feel they're kind of they're kind of similar to other icons. I'd have different icons personally. I I think you'd need more icons. You need more of a different icon. I think you might be right. I'd prefer you know I mean? other I think... icons, but they're fine. But I'm not going to yeah. complain at these icons, right? No, no. I mean, they're they're per- <laughs> perfectly adequate icons for, uh, for yeah, for him, for a man with two jobs. You're going to get those two jobs done uh, with those two icons. Um, yeah, that's going to help boost up any challenges you make with those those particular things. I think those icons are useful for making challenges, and I think they're also going to be useful for defending challenges. <laughs> that, is, that is some very astute observation turning. Um, if only you had been that precise with your icon knowledge of Blackwater. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, you know, I try my best. You know, it, it's it's what I'm here for. Those are solid icons for attacking and for defending. This is true. What do we uh, think about his keyword? Do we think that's an appropriate keyword? It probably is, but I don't really. I still don't. I don't know whether it'd be worth it. Um, I, I, I wish he was a companion. I don't know why. I just wish he was. Because, uh, you know, but, but I feel like a barber is going to be more likely to be in that trade. Mm. <laughs> what, like mm. a barber, surgeon, prostitute kind of deal? <laughs> I wasn't aware that was a traditional <laughs> medieval <laughs> The triumvirate, I'm a barber, surgeon, you see, prostitute. See, I forgot barbers always used to be surgeons. Let maybe me put he, away he, my knives. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why he's got a shaved head for cleanliness when he's doing operations. I completely forgot that barbers used to do surgeries. So he's not actually going to shave someone in this picture. I, he's about maybe to he's their not leg off. Do you reckon? Yeah, just give him a little like bit off the hand. Maybe <laughs> take away a finger. Maybe he's got bit. Maybe he's hacking off his thumb. Like the way he's holding that. Charlie, <laughs> like ah, fuck that shit. And just hacking his thumb. thumb. <laughs> yeah, his thumb's got an infected nail on, so he's got to cure it. Do you, uh, maybe he's going for Victorian's, uh, gammy arm. Something, I don't maybe. Know, you know. Yeah. Maybe that's it. You could send you with that, perhaps. You, the surgeon. Yeah. yeah. You could that would make a fantastic alt art. Well, the light surgeon. Yeah. With, with some good Have him with a mask. Oh, yeah, like the, yeah, the, the like, uh, the chrome mask. Yeah, that'd be good. Nice. Yeah. Um, what, what do we think to his, um, his character ability then? So his character ability is a reaction. Yeah, it does do that. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a reaction to something. Three, uh, three times a phase. So it's, it's, it's yes, yeah, definitely a reaction to something, and it's quite an interesting reaction to the thing that it's a reaction to. It's probably the best way of putting it. That's my kind of feedback, I think, on it. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's uh, I think it's pretty powerful because obviously you only trigger it when it would be advantageous to trigger this reaction in response yeah. to the thing that is happening. Um, I think that's right. I 
I think it's crucial also to mention that if it isn't uh, in your if it isn't in your favour to trigger this, it's probably best not to. I agreed. And yeah. I like that. I like that there's a character ability, which broadly speaking is positive, but there yeah. are instances that you wouldn't want to trigger it. Exactly. Exactly. I, it's think, a, I think that's a really good design. I think it's very I think it's very interesting. I think it goes I think it goes nicely with the keyword, I think it goes nicely with the trait. I think it's probably appropriate to the level of loyalty that this card has. Yep. And, it's definitely, yeah. and it's also appropriate to the numbers and icons. All in all, I think, yeah, I think it's certainly certainly a card. I, I, think I would definitely say that's what is, you know, it's definitely a one of in most decks. Um, I think I'd, I'd, I'd say, so. I'd, yeah, if you've got a few characters, you may as well pop him in alongside. I reckon one of them ain't going to do any harm. He's a, He's got good numbers, good icons. You know, he's if you're he, if, if you're running a deck that needs characters, this is definitely one that you could include. And, and if you wanted to put one in, right, you could probably put another one in, uh, and you could then probably put another one in, in after that. But I wouldn't put any more. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't put any more than that. In. I'd say a maximum of three of these in your deck. Uh, whether that's whether that's the optimal number of cards uh, of copies of this character that you would want to put in a deck, that's entirely up to you. That I don't I don't build your decks. Uh, you know, there's information on this card that will give you that will let you know exactly how many copies that you feel should go in. But I'd go for somewhere between one and three. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm, if you're running a deck that's going to benefit, then this, you know put put a fair view in. But. This character uh, ability is just you know going around my head, and I'm just thinking how thematic is this that he is a barber, and you don't always want to trigger his ability. You like, don't always want to have a barber. Quite happy with it. what you've got already. Yeah, and you're just like new. You know, just hold off there, lad. I'm yeah, good. This, I don't yeah. need to trigger your ability. It won't. It won't help me in this instance. I'm quite happy with my hair and limbs as they are. Yeah, and yeah. I really like that. I think, yeah. I think that's not only clever design in that it's an interesting mechanical ability, but it really fits in with the theme of Newt the Barber. So, I think it. I think. I think uh, full marks to FFG for producing a thematic haircutting character. Yes, exactly. I think this is yeah, good on them. Okay. Uh, do you want to uh, start talking about the next card then, Tony? All right. So the second card that we've got to discuss is a location card, of which you probably want a few in your deck. The card is called Iron Victory. Uh, it is a location, and it's a pretty positive location. I think. I think it does some good stuff. I think you are likely to, once again, in a very, very similar way to Newt the Barber, you're going to want between one and three of these in your deck. You're you're going to probably like the things that it does, and you're probably optionally going to be able to trigger its reaction. What do you think, Dave? Um, I, I, firstly, I really like the synergy it has as per other similar card types we've already seen. Correct. I really like that it builds on that synergy. Um, I think that's really clever design, yeah. um, which is nice. It's good. And, of course, the main ability, the, the ability you actually play it for, um, I think it's it's a really powerful ability. I think it works well in the main house decks, um, certainly. Uh, but it isn't, use, it isn't useless if you, uh, if you banner in, 
it's you know it's still a solid card, um, and you know it, it gets you where you want to go and for doing things you want to do. So it's it's a solid reaction, and I think it's appropriately uh, limited as well. I mean, you know, you could argue that it's really, really powerful. I mean, it's a really, really good card. It's a, it's a painfully good card. And as I'm, I'm not a player of this particular house that often, I'm going to be pretty unhappy to see this on the other side of the board because of how good it is and the effect that it has on other cards that are being marshaled. Definitely, definitely. Um, do you think you would play it out of the main faction? Or would you just consider it in, in its main faction with perhaps a banner? I would likely be playing this in its main house. Okay. Because yeah, I think I think I would be be much more likely to be playing this in, in the house the, the, the main mm. house of the of the of the printed card rather than any other. Uh, I can't see you playing it under a banner very often, I must admit. It just doesn't it wouldn't work if you put it, you know, as a as a banner uh, or a banner to house. No, I just don't think I just don't think you'd get on with it. I think it would go badly for you. I think there'd be, you know, it just wouldn't be able to do its effect as often as it should do because that effect. I'm looking at it now and I'm already going, yeah, I like that. I still think that functionally, functionally, the rules may say otherwise. I think I wasn't. I'm not yeah. concerned about them. I'm just, yeah. you know, I just. I don't think I'm going to trigger it as often if it's uh, a bannered. I think you're right. I think you're right. But it's 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 very powerful. It's very good. It's a card. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Hard. It's a nice location with good numbers and good triggers. Yeah. So, oh, and go on. I was going to say that the 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 numbers of importance on the card. One of them uh, is certainly very reasonable. Mm. Or for its effect, and the other is number ninety-two, card number ninety-two. Oh, that, that, that's yeah. nice. Um, so obviously, you have a lot of uh, experience playing this faction in first edition. Uh, would you have played this version of this card in um, your this faction and black sales? For <laughs> well, well, no, Dave, I wouldn't have um, because this card has only just been printed. Yeah, but so... if, if this was a legal first edition <laughs> card. Uh, would it would it have been good enough to displace its other versions? Because of course there were two versions of this. I would. I kind of like one and the LRV two. Is, is this good mm. enough to displace one I, of those? I do enjoy it. I like it, but I don't think it would have worked in the first edition because the thing it works with doesn't have that thing. That's understandable. And would that, you, does that make sense? Its main effect yeah. lacks the synergy. Yes. There we go. Perfect. Yeah. In in, yeah. in the in the deck that you used to play, yeah. it wouldn't. Yes, in in other decks potentially it would have, it would have. But in the deck I used to play, I didn't have any way of 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 making it play. Okay, that, that's understandable. And you wouldn't play it for the second ability only, considering you were already playing a copy of this card in a different form. I think I probably would. I mean, the second effect is very nice. Um, but that could have been easily stopped, uh, a lot easier stopped in the first ed. That's true. You know, that could have been, that could have come bad, uh, quite easily with some very specific houses. Martel 
for example, would have just trounced me um, in first edition because they had that annoying card, which I fucking hated. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who aren't aware, I don't like Martel in first edition because playing against them was like having someone scrape their nails very slowly down a chalkboard next to you because everything they did just fucking made you clench your teeth and just go, you fucking asshole. I can hear the smile on Dave's face from here. <laughs> you yeah. can as well. He's beaming like a little school child. When <laughs> yeah. Dave started... Loves it. Yeah. I used to beat Dave. It was quite even once upon a time. And then he started playing Martel. <laughs> Killjoy. Yeah. yeah. Fucking ass. Anyway. Yeah, but no, it's it's lovely. And I will definitely be putting this in my current. Uh, or, well, I don't know. If I build a deck of this house, I would probably say, yeah, this is going in. I think you can slot it in. Yeah. Certainly yeah. between zero and three copies, as Tony previously discussed. I'd probably go for two. I'd go for the the average. Keep it two. Keep it safe. Okay. Two copies seems seems yeah seems good. Seems reasonably optimistic. It's between one and three. So I mean, you might even I might even feel like three. Um, and depending on it hits a few times. I'd, I tell you what, I'll start off with two. If it does well, I'll put in a third. Mm. Or if it does shit, I'll put in. I'll take one out. Yeah, thorough testing there, people. Thorough testing. Mm. Like it. Mm. Good spoilers. Good spoilers? Spoilers, lads. Spoilers. Yeah. Good spoilers. You say it how spoilers. you write it. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Lovely spoilers, guys. Dairy, mate. Dairy, mate. Okay. Uh, would you like to move us on to our yes, next? Yes, so um, obviously there was a tournament. Sadly, I was unable to attend um, due to various limitations. Um, however, two of our hosts were there. Um, one of them was, of course, hosting slash TOing slash whatever it was you were doing, Dave. Um, just running general things, sorting bits out, making sure it went. Shouting, exactly. shouting and being stressed. Yeah. So we're going to have two different outlooks on the tournament, one from a TO. And uh, one from, of course, a player, which was our very own Tony. Um... All right. So, uh, yes, thank you, Peel. We did Blackwater this weekend. It was, of course, one of the most lovely weekends of the year. Uh, this year, we ended up, as we normally do, having a curry on the Friday, which was an absolute pleasure, Indeed. as it always is. Party Marty joined us, mm-hmm. which was lovely. Um, I'm sure that was a pleasure for all involved, especially me. <laughs> so that's nice. Um, and uh, many beers were had I did not feel very well in the morning at all but uh, we made it down to Bromley in time for the tournament there was a bit of drama with the prize support as you may have been slightly I was party slightly time. party to that there was a hell of a lot of panicking at around about 4 o'clock in the pub on the Friday uh, yeah where uh Price support was due to be uh, delivered to someone's neighbour, and then we got an email saying it was misdelivered. I, it wasn't. It was, they tried to deliver it to the the main house. Obviously, the person wasn't in because they were in London, and uh, therefore it was returned to the depot. But luckily, Wama managed to go to the depot depot on the Saturday morning and pick up the price support. So that was spectacularly close timing, um, and we definitely need to plan for more events next year. So that was yeah. lessons learned. So everyone that's <laughs> listening that actually was at Blackwater and has their prize support cards and all the, the, the lovely alt arts have uh, Mr. James Wamsley to thank for getting up stupidly early and driving about and 
going through all that nonsense with the DPD depots on Saturday morning. So good on him. Uh, it was a very, very good turn he did us. Um, so we arrived, uh, we arrived nice and bright and early. Something, you know, like quarters of nine, mm-hmm. something ridiculous. In, in Bromley at Warbore Games, which is the first time I've uh, been to the venue. But I was pleasantly surprised. It's it's very nice downstairs. It's a lovely little, like, uh, cafe where they serve some a little bit of hot food and drink some beers and stuff. Um, a reasonable amount of playing space and a, and a, a fairly well-stocked uh, game selection, miniatures and board games card games and all, all the stuff you want. Uh, and then upstairs there's a much more extensive gaming area uh, and a little office for me to sit in, which was incredibly useful over the course of the weekend. Uh, I could just squirrel myself away and put in match slips and check decks and uh, do all the things a TO needs to do to get away from all the pain. As, as so, I think uh, I've mentioned was... to you a number of times over the over uh, Saturday and Sunday, you look like you, you were running a minicab firm. In your little office yes. with your little, you know, your little phones and with your back pretty much to the door. So people had to come in and kind of like practically tap you on the shoulder and go, oh, here's this, here's a slip, here's a slip. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever, whatever. It was, it was quite farcical, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, the, the place was great. I, I did feel like a 70s yeah, yeah. Video, so <laughs> that was, uh, it was quite fun. Hopefully better looking and slightly less overweight, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was still awesome, of course. So nothing like a 70s tomato. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was it was really kind of Jason who ran uh, ran Warbor to let me use his office or Vince and I to use his office for the weekend. It was it was appreciated a thousandfold, um, keeping us away from the riffraff, allowing us to sort out all our stuff because of course we were given uh, a number of um, tokens to pimp your cards out. You know, uh, you could give Tywin a pipe or uh, give Salisa parrot or whatever you wanted to do. Because Simon Hansen gave us a number of. Um, little tokens to put on your cards uh, and sorting them into appropriate packs was hmm, quite I the bet. ordeal um, so that was that was a fun thing and uh, luckily we had a couple of volunteers, uh, Garrick who ended up making uh, Top 16 I believe with uh, Nightsworth Builders uh, he came in and helped us out with tokens and later on in the day uh, Keb came out and while I was uh, sorting out judging calls and uh, deck checks and things, uh, he would be putting results in or deck checking or doing whatever I needed him to do in the office. So really, I cannot say thank you enough to them um, because at that point, Whammer and uh, Vince were sorting out first edition Highlander draft pods um, for the next day, which is if nobody's ever made a um, what 900 card draft pool, it is a hefty it was a undertaking. Um, Especially when Whammer is such a monster that he organises his first edition yeah. card by pack, uh, and not by house. Uh, and in fairness, my second edition cards are ordered by pack, but it only makes two folders because all my plots are separate. Um, and at the moment, it's okay. When it hits the third folder, it will probably need further dividing. But at the moment, it's it's convenient enough. When in the card pool reaches nineteen hundred cards, the uh, the buy pack method is less optimal until you've got someone like Josh who knows exactly where. Yeah, that that whole um, that whole process of putting the dra- the cube draft together was helped by yeah Wama's kind of scrupulous filing where everything was at least in the place that it was supposed that it was supposed to be, and folk like Josh and Rowan who have a had a complete. 
uh, you know, encyclopedic knowledge of the first edition card pool. So while it still took a good few hours to get all those cards out, uh, it, you know, we couldn't we couldn't have done it as, even as quickly as that without those guys. So good on. Yeah, really, really appreciated. So um, that kind of logistics aside, uh, we rocked off with um, 80 players, although it actually says 82 on Jousting Pavilion, because I had to make a dummy dummy players um, DPD out right. of Keb Spain to win against Keb and Whammer uh, round one so that they could join the tournament mm-hmm. slightly late. But uh, we did seven rounds of Swiss and we cut to top 16. It was mostly drama-free. I, I had to make a, a couple of judge calls, most of which were reasonably straightforward, uh, even if I had to clarify them with a, a, one of the other judges. Um, I only had to give one game loss, and that was because someone uh, flipped a scheme during the plot phase when they were playing Rent Castamere, and they they and their opponent only realised when um, when the next plot phase came around that they didn't have the same number of plots. One of them had one left, and one of them had two left. So... Uh, that was kind of embarrassing for them. Um, I think by that point, there was little I could do, and I kind of had to yeah. get the game loss uh, and a warning to the opponent because really they should have seen that it was a scheme and it shouldn't have been revealed. But, you know, it was fine. Um, they played the game out and the it, it went the way of the guy that won anyway. So luckily it didn't make much of a difference. Well, um, but other than that, it was relatively controversy-free. Although while we were deck checking, the uh, the fr- one of the French players uh, who TO'd at Tony de Le Mans, um, John Zed, he said, uh, you know, that he was checking a deck for me, and he said this deck, the the plot cards are in different sleeves, like you know the the schemes and the the normal plots, because technically by the letter of the rules you have to have them in the same sleeves. Uh, what do you think to that? Do you think it's reasonable for people to have them in different sleeves, or do you think? That rule should be enforced. I think it's perfectly reasonable for them to have them in, but just because that's how you tend to build the deck, right? You tend to have your schemes to one side if you're putting the reins deck together. I understand kind of why the rules say that you have to have them. I don't know. Maybe I don't. In fact, maybe I don't actually understand why they all, why all 12, 13 of them, uh, sorry, twelve of them all need to be in the same deck. It's it's because um, the the agenda says you may have 12 plot cards in your deck five yeah so it's your so you have basically a draw deck and a plot deck you do not have a draw deck a plot deck and a supplemental plot deck you yeah exactly but uh you know what is it what does it matter really does it have a game effect your opponent isn't your opponent is going to know that you can't flip any of your schemes in the plot phase anyway so the five plot yeah well yeah, the five-year plots you're not going to be able to play anyway, so actually your choice is still only of seven plots, regardless of the fact that you have 12 sleeved, you know, the the, the same. It, it seems a little bit moot to me, but, you know, I don't play Reigns that often. Exactly. Um, well, that, that's what I said in the end. You know, I would rather people sleeve them like this and didn't make mistakes in oh, yeah. the game than, um, than enforce what is a pretty arbitrary rule. But I did, I did, of course, mention to people that, like, look, if you're going to go to probably Starlek, some of the other roads to Starlek's may be yeah. strict on this. And if you're going to go to, like, you know, Euros or a Nationals or something, make sure you yeah, have sleep. In, yeah, just in case. Just in case. This, that could be an issue for some TOs. I do not give <laughs> <to> that, <because laughs> this is This way, people are less likely to make 
Your game yeah. mistakes, which is good. Like illegal plays, which I'm much more worried about than a really. You're setting a good team. example for other tournaments as well, I guess. Thank yeah, you. Well, I think. And you're also giving yourself um, less work. <laughs> yes, exactly. I didn't really want to DQ all like because like, there were a couple of like they're probably like fourth range players maybe in the top sixteen, and a lot of them had different coloured sleeves, so it, it would have caused me a lot more hassle. Things that a card game. Um, it's one of the things so that a card game player does is they yeah. show off. They show off sleeves wearing whatever they can, you know? Exactly, exactly. Um, we were quite lucky in that uh, the cut to top 16 was very natural. Uh, everyone who had two losses and five full wins made the cut. The, uh, the 17th player, Giha, uh, he, he had two losses, but he had yeah. one mod win. So um, it was quite a natural point to, to cut the top 16, which we were quite lucky about. Um, no drama, missing on strength of schedule, luckily. Uh, and we did the top 16 that night and then moved on to the top 8 in the morning, which we didn't do previously. Like, I am a bit of a slave driver when it comes to running tournaments normally. People always are asking, you know, when are we having lunch, when are we having dinner? And in previous years, I last year I was forced by Tagore to have a lunch. Um, I was just kind of going to, you know, say, oh, you know, I'll give you 10 minutes at the end of this round, go and eat, and if you can't eat, that's your problem, kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I didn't schedule dinner last year either. Uh, but this year I was, uh, you know, it was a bit of a hassle. So, uh, so this year I did schedule a lunch and then decided that we wouldn't try and play the top or the whole of the top 16. We'd only do the first round this year. Uh, so people do have time to have dinner and enjoy themselves. Um, partly also including myself because last year I missed last call for food oh. at the pub, uh, because I was TOing too late, which was kind of depressing. So it's, it's, not purely selfish, selfish reasons, but they certainly. I'm kind of wait. yeah, I'm kind of with you when it comes to when you know cutting for lunch in the middle of a tournament. If you've got, the, I guess the best example, uh, the, the the best example against this is kind of what happened at uh, at Euros this year when we all sat down, and played one game, and then went for lunch, which was kind of ridiculous. Oh, yeah. That that at like what we did, I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Two and then two rounds and then lunch. With two, two and, right. and, and even then, sometimes I kind of feel like, well, I've only just sat down or, you know, you've, you've maybe had half an hour of prep before the first round, you've had a game, you've had a second game, and then you're going for lunch. I, I, I guess because of the time that these things normally kick off, we're normally getting our know, first rounds usually about half past 10, 11 o'clock, so two rounds normally does hit, you know, end round about lunchtime. I would personally, yeah, I'm kind of with you, I would personally just crack on. Personally get at least three games done before worrying about food and but you know, I appreciate you know people are different when it comes to these, especially when you know when you, when you know you've got a seven round day ahead of you I, I'd rather do three days you know grab a sandwich uh, three games grab a sandwich and then do me four after that but I'm not usually expecting to play any more than those seven rounds if you know what I mean <laughs> some people are of course <laughs> expecting to kind of hit the cut and play a you know top 16 top 8 top 4 match or whatever but you know horses for courses I guess um, yeah, I think in retrospect we probably should have cut um, cut mm-hmm. after round three and had lunch then. Uh, but it, it just so happened, you know, when we were looking at it, we we're just like, oh yeah, around then yeah. we'll be okay. And so Jason planned to yeah, start. Uh, yeah. well, they- uh, and so that's why we cut oh, at the end of round two. Because that's when the staff were going for lunch Careful. before that. So there would be a full contingent yeah. when we were eating. Um, 
but you know, I mean, that's that's lessons learned, as we say. We say. Um, feeling very <laughs> clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, when we kicked off the uh, the cut in the morning, um, we start not long after that. We started some melee and some first edition draft, which of course was fantastic. And um, we'll get on to talking about that later. Um, and uh, and I've got to say, Issian lost his top eight game quickly enough that he was able to join the melee and then win the melee. So well Good played work. to Issian. That was a pretty spectacular play there. Um, but there's there's not too much more insight I think I can give on the tournament other than you know what I've said. So uh, do you want to talk about your experience in the well, tournament, Tony? Was it was it lovely for you? Was it did you enjoy it? Uh, much I mean, from the don't, don't, obviously, don't be too harsh. Uh, well, well, I'll get I'll, I'll get this bit out of the way first. I'll get the uh, horrible flattery out of the way first. Um, yeah, the, the whole day, uh, and this is for you guys, but it's also for uh, Jason at Warbore as well. It's the that I think the whole day was run really well. I think uh, all the issues you have with the price support uh, potentially were, was going to be a, a nightmare, and most of that was un, unseen to the majority of uh, of people that were taking part. Uh, I don't think anyone was really aware of that unless you unless you told them. It, it seemed pretty seamless to me. The venue was hot and sweaty in places, uh, but perfectly lovely. All the staff were great. Yeah, I think I think you you did a bang up job, and uh, it was uh, a delightful tournament to be playing at. As for how I did, on the other hand, uh, you know, I don't go with these things to win, mate. I go down to see my, see my friends, and you know, and 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 play some games and I didn't do that well I brought what was a I thought would be a pretty good deck um took a chunk of the good cards out of it and then played it quite badly that's probably the best way to kind of to 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 explain what happened to me is that uh I got uh, I decided I was going to play uh Barra Kraken uh Baratheon Barra the Kraken uh, with the usual Vic and Bob shenanigans, uh, yeah, the shooting stars, the you know, bang bang, it's Vic and Bob. Um, but I decided to take a, maybe a little bit too much of the Neil out of it, and the good events and the good attachments as well, leaving me with a whole bunch of kind of quite good characters and quite good locations uh, that didn't come out in the right order. <laughs> it was um, it was it was all right. I mean, um, my first two games were against Barra, and my Barra deck didn't really work against other Barra decks. I got beaten by Barra Fieldy deck round one. I got beaten by Ben Fox and his Barra and a Barra Kraken deck round two. And all the games I had against Barra were you. The reason I lost them was usual because they saw the Neil and I didn't. And the reason I didn't see the Neil was because most of it wasn't there. So the lesson there is, if you're playing Baratheon, don't take the Neil out of the deck uh, to put in some Greyjoy nonsense. Maybe keep some of that in there. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I lost uh, lost two games straight against uh, Baratheon and spent the rest of the day calling all Barra players wankers, uh, which went down okay with most folk. But you know, I got an odd look here or two from here or there from others. I had the delight to play uh, to play George Anchors in round three who would, just went online today uh, with a big blog about his the deck that he built for Blackwater. Um, he went full jank, uh, and the, he, he went so hard down the jank route that 
every single game was a massive blowout, uh, which which was like heartbreaking because uh, I played against this deck. I couldn't quite see what it was doing. Um, I I knew something was going on when he, when he played the King's Road Jamie, and uh, I could see that he was doing all he was doing a little bit of oh hang on all these knights are getting renowned okay when they attack on their own all right then he gets out of some various kind of odd cards and i couldn't quite see what was going on by the time i could see what was going on i'd won and he had to tell me what the deck was supposed to do and when he did tell me <laughs> which isn't isn't optimal right that's not really it's not really how you want to go on especially because i had a feeling that that was probably what he ended up doing all day was you know that that you kind of lose a game horribly and then go right let me tell you what the deck's supposed to do. <laughs> oh, all right, yeah. Well, it didn't do that, did it? No. Okay. Well, good game anyway. Um, so he, had, yeah, he had put together uh, um, a Targaryen uh, deck, trying to use and abuse the Breaker of Chains attachment. Um, I won't spoil any more of it. He, there's a really nice blog that he wrote all about losing every single game uh, and what that what that did. But um, suffice to say, it gave me a win. So uh, you know. Uh, I was happy with that regardless. Then um, I played two Martell decks, which absolutely destroyed me, unfortunately, because, uh, yeah, I wasn't really um, I wasn't really having fun playing against Martell. Uh, I had a guy, I wish I could remember his name, um, and if you listen to this, hello, because he, he does listen to this, who um, pointed it to my uh, Banterbind the Throne mat and kind of said, oh, Banterbind the Throne, okay, which one are you? Uh, at which I kind of said, oh, I'm neither of the guys on this map. And he went, ah, you are replacement Scotsman. <laughs> which I might have to just get a T-shirt uh, with replacement. To be referred to as replacement Scotsman. He then went on to tell me that I was much more Scottish on the podcast than I was in real life. <laughs> what, is that? what was he expecting? No, like... Well, exactly. Was I supposed to turn up blue faced in a kilt and kind of, uh, you know, smack my cars down the table really heavily with a, you know, with a claymore? I, I don't really know. I don't know whether it's a compliment or not. I can't decide if that means that I'm a lot less Scottish in real life, or, or maybe it's, you know, I was in London. I don't know. Uh, who knows? But God, but God bless him. Uh, he was a lovely guy who thumped me. Um, uh, I did play against. Kebs Baradek and did get a win against that, which uh, yeah was kind of okay. And then my last game was against Joe Harrison, who was playing Night's Watch Crossing, I think. And uh, last game of the day, you know, when you're in that kind of well, none of us, are, neither of us are making the cut. The last couple of games of the day are always you know pretty entertaining, um, especially when your opponent has no chance of uh, qualifying and, and you don't either. So we had quite an amusing game. Uh, which uh, I've very much enjoyed. So a little shout out to Joe uh, when I actually got every single one of my seven cost characters out on the table on the one time. It was a beautiful thing to see, but uh, you know it didn't happen in any other game. So I ended up going three four, which you know wasn't terrible, wasn't wasn't going to bother the people in the top sixteen, but uh, had a much nicer day than maybe I'm sending that sending like that. I mean. We were playing from like eleven o'clock in the morning till seven at night, so you know a little bit, you know a little bit of time for lunch. Uh, it was really hot and sweaty in that room upstairs, and then we went and had some lovely drinks afterwards. It was yeah, Blackwater's always. I've, I was a Blackwater last year, and this is my second. And Blackwater's always, in general, uh, a good tournament to play at, good tournament to socialise at, uh, 
anyone on the continent, anyone in Britain should come to Blackwater because, you know, as a kind of premium British road to Starlike event, although not the only one now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll refrain from judgment yeah, uh, from now. Eh? But no, had a, had, a, had a lovely day, didn't play very well. There were a whole load of us in the same kind of bracket of not playing very well, but still having a relatively kind of entertaining time. Uh, and he'll kill me for mentioning this, but I just had to go onto Jousting Pavilion to find out where I ended up and to remind myself who it was that I played. And uh, as I said, he'll kill me for mentioning this, but I finished one place ahead of last year's champion. <laughs> I was 50. Yeah, so he'll kill me for that. Uh, but he made the mistake. He made the mistake this year of playing his own deck. Yes, an error. If any, if ever was one. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. But I'm. Uh, I'm genuinely. I thought you had been to Blackwater for the last no, few years. But was last year was my first? first because uh, your previous Blackwater. Is it the previous Blackwater? Is it because I started to? <laughs> no, no. It Unfortunately, it's the end of July. Is the wife's birthday. So the first couple ah. of Blackwaters were always towards the end of July, uh, usually the last weekend in July, which is when Helen's birthday is. And when you start to push them back a couple of weeks, they became more kind of available for us to come down. Not that she would, you know, hate the idea of playing Thrones on her birthday. But uh, last year, I think you pushed it back to the middle of July, and so we came down. So we've only done two, but they're, all very, they're very, very good. The Battle Blackwater Bay is a fantastic tournament, everyone. Uh, you should go. Promo over. Agreed. Agreed. Well, thank you, Tony. Kind yeah. words. Yeah. Kind words. No, I'll be hard. Um, yeah, so that, that's that's most of our, our recap. Mm. Um, props, of course, to uh, to Jason, who runs Warball and oh, his staff. Lovely, man. Um, Vince and Whammer, who helped me TO and sort all the crap out. Uh, John Berenger Webb and Florian for helping us with some of the prize support and templating and that kind of thing. Glenn Holman, who did the artwork for the house cards and the playmat, uh, he you may know him from the Banter Behind the Throne artwork. Uh, so, you know, still a friend of ours, he is. Um, and, uh, yeah, so cheers, cheers for all of that. Um, my Sunday night was uh, a nice little... We, we, all, we ordered pizza. There was about six or seven Frenchmen staying in our house and Josh. Uh, so we ordered pizza and had some beers in a nice little, nice little time, chilling out, which was uh, which was good fun. Um, and it sounds like some of the Frenchmen are coming to the uh, UK Team Championship no, no. Uh, later this year, so that should be nice. exciting. And uh, I think I've I think I've said that I'll go to go to Tony de la Man next year, uh, but we'll see near the time. Thing. What's that? April usually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll uh, take it in, take uh, exams into account. See yeah. But uh yeah, that's our my and mine and yours Blackwater recap, I think. So uh probably time to get some guests on. Talk about how they Let's see how people uh, who played very well last weekend did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that Dave and Tony up to some crazy stuff at the weekend that's just gone. Right. Now, I don't know why they haven't been the weird voice. It sounded like Alan Partridge going into like some weird radio moment. Um, <laughs> the problem is, if you sound like a BBC radio presenter from before the 80s, you just, you're just going to aim for a good time. 
<sighs> anyway, um, okay, so this week we are joined by the, the winner of the very recent Blackwater, uh, Darren. Darren, would you like to introduce yourself to begin with? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what's your name and where you come from? Uh, hi, I'm Darren. I come from Wales, uh, and that's probably the most interesting thing about me. Uh, <laughs> what's, your, what's your card I, playing history? Tell, tell yeah, us all about uh, that. Well, I played um, before 2.0. I, I was fresh thrown to 2.0 uh, because uh, just before I bought into 1.0, spent six 700 quid buying into that. They announced that they were restarting it, so I got out of there. Uh, got out of that cost um but uh yeah so i played l5r before thrones uh for about eight years and then i started playing thrones 2.0 from the start i have won roughly a few handful of gnks and a three-man store championship and missed the cut in every regional i've ever attended uh throughout game of thrones 2.0 well done mate yeah Pretty, that's pretty, a good, that's a, pretty good history, around. right? Yeah, I can totally get behind that kind of record. <laughs> <laughs> have you won a three-man game like it, Tony? Uh, that was a store championship, I'll have you know. Oh, sorry, Tony, have you met I've not won, won a, I've not won a three-man, three-man store championship, no. I might have won a three-night game night kit, but, you know, you. who's to say? I'm not going to, you know, a lady never tells. <laughs> and anyway this isn't about me is it this is about Darren so Darren back to you mate <laughs> back to me it's all about me it's all about you mate it is. Um, but yeah that's I like my record wasn't any better a couple of weeks before Blackwater I went to Cardiff and Bristol and came 17th in Bristol and then got knocked out in the top 8 in Cardiff against um, the guy who didn't even win so Which oh Isian Isian's a, Isian's a good player I'm I'm happy to lose to anyone who's a good player as long as my deck doesn't screw me but yeah I, I basically came into Blackwater not expecting to do particularly well and the morning of the event decided I was just going to have fun instead oh and how did you decide? So a group of six of us: uh, Tupac Castro, uh, Ben Fox. Tupac Best Castro absolutely is uh, best name in the world, possibly. Potentially, potentially. potentially. I mean, they are two of the they're two of the best people on earth. Combining uh, <laughs> their names, both dead. Well, you know what? I'm two of the previous. Both dead are both very subjective. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so so Tupac, Ben Fox, Simon Hansen, I think it is, or Handrups and Srups and Danish Danish Simon, oh. I think he's Danish. Um, UK national champion Ryan Wood, uh, Thrones heartthrob Dan Kay, and myself uh, were all in Airbnb. And since none of us were particularly confident, everyone except Dan decided that we would just chuck our decks in the middle roll a dice and randomly take out whichever deck we rolled and then just play that on the weekend instead. So uh, I gave away my boring as fuck Joe Mirando Lanny Reigns deck to Simon, who only likes interesting jank, and I got Ben Fox's Tyrell Reigns. Okay. 
So, I mean, in regards to the day, what did you start off in regards to breakfast? Because we all want to get inside the mind here of how you win a tournament and what we can do to figure it out. What did we do for breakfast? Oh, yeah, we went to uh, Costa or Cafe Nero, something like that. Um, I had a hot chocolate with whipped cream on top and the whipped cream. She put probably more whipped cream on top than like the size of the cup underneath. Like, it was spilling over the sides. Um, it was pretty amazing. Did you get sprinkles? Uh, uh, she didn't offer me sprinkles. I would have had sprinkles. Mm. But Subpar service, I'm afraid. That's why we don't go to Costa. No. True. Darren, yes. you... Or Caffeinero, yeah, we're not really sure. I don't know. Are, you a, are you a caffeine-free gentleman? Uh, I'm not a caffeine-free gentleman. I just hate tea and coffee. So oh. I, I, drink, I drink like Coke, uh, Dr. Pepper, uh, Dr. Pepper most of the weekend, actually. Um, but I don't like tea or coffee. They're gross. Okay. And I had a, I had a pretty rubbish big I, IV monster, but uh, but I don't drink tea and coffee. Pretty tricky position to be in to not be a caffeine, um, to, to not be a caffeine free gentleman and yet go and have your breakfast and like Costa or caffeine Nero. I mean, that's a, I, I was gulping down mockers that morning. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously you won Blackwater and I yes. didn't. So. Is that because you had a cracking hangover? Um, do you know what? It probably wasn't. I was staying with I was staying with a family, so I wasn't overly drunk on uh, on like Friday night. It's kind of Saturday morning. Um, what I'm trying to I guess what I'm trying to get uh, get to is that normally, you know, you start your morning with a with a Costa or a caffeine noodle breakfast. It normally involves caffeine of some kind. I'm just very surprised to find out that this contain this particular breakfast contained more cream than it did caffeine. Yeah, the to be fair, my other option was stand outside while everyone else went in and, and had a drink. So I sort of, yeah, I, I sort of had to get in on that. I also had a bacon toasted bacon, the the really manky bacon they put in their their bread. I had one of those overpriced sandwiches. That's that's oh. the breakfast of champions, I think. <laughs> okay, what is the most overpriced sandwich you've ever brought? I. Have so you weren't expecting that, were you? No. See, <laughs> most sandwiches I buy end up overpriced because everywhere charges you for all the salad and butter and sauce and everything. And I don't want my sandwiches with any of it. Like, I have meat and bread, and that's it. There's no there's no salad goes in. There's no sauce, no butter. I want it dry. I want meat and bread and nothing else. So probably... Any time I go to Subway is probably the most expensive, where you spend like six quid on a sandwich and it's literally some ham and salami or something thrown into. It, it looks it's some pretty sorry looking bread for about six. So you don't you don't go for cheese and toasted then? I don't like cheese unless it's on pizza. Oh. So fair enough, fair enough. Or I have some I have some weird food tastes. It's it's a bit it's a bit odd. <coughs> The dry sandwich does sound, but then again, I suppose, have you ever spent any time living in the north of England? No. Have you ever visited the north of England for longer than two days? Uh, no, the northest I've ever been is Sheffield for two days. Um, that, that's why, that's why you don't appreciate the sauces and the butters and the, the things like that. Um, because you can't get healthy food if you live above um, Derby, it doesn't exist. Confirmed. <laughs> To be fair, I don't I don't exactly get healthy food down here. We had KFC for lunch while we we're at uh, yeah. while we we're at the tournament. Yeah. Both Did days. You skipped ahead. You skipped ahead. Uh, uh, shit! Shit! Yeah. Shit! I'm sorry, Phil. I've ruined your interview. 
<laughs> Don't worry about it. Spoilers! Spoilers again! <laughs> Next question is, when is your car's MOT'd you? These <laughs> um, facts. You need to know. Actually, probably next month. Fair enough. But I'm not sure. Good I think last last year I missed it by about two months because I forgot. Like my car's only four years old now, so last year was the first time I was meant to MOT it. So I totally forgot until about two months later when I got a shitty letter through. Okay, so. You were there, you were in there, you had a Costa. You, from your Costa there, I'm guessing you went to the, the game store where the, the tournament was being held. What was the seating allocation like? Uh, I mean, when we arrived, it was every man for himself. It was a bit of a scrum, really, because uh, everyone was piling in downstairs, and I didn't even realise I was an upstairs until Dave dragged us all upstairs. So uh, we yeah we were we were fighting for seats. Huh. Was there kind of have you know when you go to like Starac and you you sat with about as much elbow room as if you're on a, a budget airline? Um, was it like that when you were playing, or was it more kind of a case of you could swing a dead cat? I mean, not that you want to swing a dead cat. Um, so so there was plenty of space around us, uh, but. The, the tables themselves, I don't know about Starlake since I've never been, um, but uh, the, the tables themselves, it was, it was play mat to play mat, so like, there wasn't even space to put oh. uh, my, my top 32 box from European Championship thing, um, but just just <laughs> to let everyone know. Uh, <laughs> just just was, you didn't win in Thrones, though, oh, did you? Oh, no, no, that was, for, <laughs> that was for top 32 in the 31-man Star Wars LCG. <laughs> But yeah, so so I couldn't. Thank you for winning me. Oh yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so that that ended up on my lap in several rounds because like perched quite precariously because there was nowhere else to put it without flopping it out onto my opponent's playmats, which they wouldn't have been too happy with. So much. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna let that one go. I'm gonna let that one go. Feel it's worth mentioning uh, as well though because. Uh, because at the weekend, the players that were doing well played downstairs, and the players that weren't doing quite so well were playing upstairs. And oh, was that where you, you like you separate them? So it's like you put the bad players upstairs. Mm. Was it like that, or was it just kind of like? I think it was more the. It was exactly. I think like well, yeah, all right. <laughs> more the, the the top tables, ironically, were downstairs, um, and you know it was nicer playing downstairs than it was playing upstairs. Upstairs was an absolute fucking sweatbox, but. For those people that were doing very well and played majority of their games downstairs and maybe were a little bit elbow to elbow with playmats and stuff like that, for those of us who were playing upstairs, we had room to swing four or five cats. Really? Yeah, <laughs> it was great. We were, we were standing up and walking around tables while we were playing our rounds. It was fantastic. It was just it was just like a sauna up there. I noticed that every every time I, I came up so- to see how everyone else was doing, I was like, everyone has space up here. This isn't fair. Yeah, but we also didn't. But we didn't have any air. <laughs> do you think that's why you were kept down then Tony are you blaming a lack of oxygen supply to the brain I blame a general a, a general lack of the, the fundamental gas that I use to breathe as hmm. being the reasons that my record perhaps wasn't optimal yeah I'll go with that yeah that's my, yeah. my story yeah that's my story yep. that works you know unfortunately Tony didn't win because he was struggling to breathe yep, yep. You're like a Marines 5 song if I could pass my if I could pass my Starlet by down Tony, I would. Oh, and and I'd take it. 
You know, I've got, I've got no qualms. I'd, I'd take it. At least you'll win a game. <laughs> Shots fired. Shots fired. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> I feel guilty now. The same. How many games did I win this year, Dave? One? Uh, I don't remember. I wasn't really paying attention to your score. Oh. But it wasn't many. It wasn't... I know you lost to Hammers. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so moving swiftly on. It was kind of a hard counter. Yeah. 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 Oh. Okay, so, Darren, you got there, you were sat, you were cramped because you were playing downstairs in the winner's circle. Now, what was the, you know, the venue like, other than the fact it was a little bit cramped on the downstairs and a sauna upstairs and other, you know, standard game shop? Was it a nice game shop? On a scale of 1 to 10, rate the game shop. Uh, I'd probably rate it a, a 7, 7-ish. Uh, seven and a half. It's it seemed decent. They had they had gaming stuff there. They had loads of gaming space. Uh, they they had a cafe which was lovely. And I spent uh, I bought il- I, I bought a new can of Dr Pepper every round from their cafe. Uh, and they were charging twice retail twice RRP for their cans of drink I don't know what their other stuff was worth because all I did was buy Dr Pepper all weekend but uh, yeah I, I bought 11 cans of Dr Pepper over the weekend and uh, uh, in their defence it is you know a cafe it's, in central it's, London I mean, I mean well I say central it's a cafe in yeah, London I, like, like I'm, I'm not privy to their pricing strategy I just like it didn't stop me buying them I kept I kept buying cans of Dr Pepper, and then every time I bought it, I walked off going, "Why am I still buying these? They're so expensive." <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's, it seemed nice. All the staff were really, really good. To be fair, they're all really friendly and, and everything. So, in my experience, the the pricing seemed a bit inconsistent. It was two pounds for a monster, which you know is probably slightly less than double. Yeah. You know, you can often get them for a pound, but it's normally more like one thirty. Uh, but it was three fifty for a Budweiser, which is pretty reasonable. In London, that, that's pretty good. A bottle of Budweiser. That's actually a very cheap Budweiser in London. The two of those things were the only things I drank. So, uh, so you know, it was it was all right for what I was drinking in the grand scheme of like cafe prices. Um, so, you know. So they were marked down. So far, just for reference, they've been marked down for the price of Dr Pepper, though. That's that's what we were marking them down for. Specifically, pretty, 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 pretty much, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. They, their, their beer prices, fine, we're level with that. Monster, yeah, it's all right. But Dr Pepper, you need to lower that shit down. It's a fuck, It's a soda can. It should be sixty-five pence, possibly eighty. Exactly. I was I wasn't drinking beer or, or Monster. I was just drinking Dr Pepper. So the, the other stuff, I don't care. They could price it. They could have. Been charging twenty quid a can of Monster for all I care. Mm. Luckily, they weren't. Otherwise, they I, would. I would definitely care. There would have been some tables. <laughs> I would have walked out. <laughs> I would have physically left in rage. Like twenty pounds for a can of Monster? No, and just left. Just I'm going home. I'll take my tournament elsewhere. Yes, I'll... just spoons, <laughs> my friend. Yeah. Can we one day have a tournament in spoons? Um, because then we can have food delivered to our table. Um. That's... um the uh, the London Meta meets every Monday. In you can yeah you can you can do spoonsy stuff. So if you if you move to uh, if you move to London Peel, you can play in spoons. Every well, Monday. Dave. And sometimes we have mini tournaments. We've been we've been over this. 
whooping over this. I'm trying to move to London. I'm trying to get a job in London that's actually semi-decent and not just, you'll struggle to live. Like, oh, cool. Um, <laughs> like all the jobs. Yeah, you need to earn about 150 grand to afford it. Um, anyway, um, moving swiftly on. If you were, okay, so you were playing your deck. You hadn't had any caffeine other than Dr. Pepper. You played downstairs. It's cramped. I'm trying to get in the headspace of how to, how to win a tournament, Dave. That's what I'm trying to do. You know, there, there has to be reasons. Playing, get, playing the cards, well, that's relevant. Um, that, that is irrelevant for reference. It is. I played, I played badly all weekend. It was exactly. Horrendous. I think you don't I played need to one play. game. I've seen people win tournaments. I've won a tournament, and I lost every game. So you don't need to play well at all. Um, that's not strictly true, Phil. You won the final. It was just you won the most. Yeah, that's this. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's like scoring a winning penalty kick, Dave. The forward one was so count. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't matter what the other guy did, does it? You've got to score the winner right there. There we go. Job's good. And see you later. Um, but no. Um, so currently, what I've, as far as I've prepared, is we're doing everything wrong. We're hungover. Um, Tony minus not hungover this weekend, but still has been having caffeine. So I feel like maybe that might anticipate it. Not, you know, uh, that may kind of take some form of influence on how we play. So at the moment, I'm currently planning on just drinking hot chocolate in the morning and Dr. Pepper all day. I'm going to try and do it as a mindset thing. You know, that's what I'm thinking, Dave. And maybe being close to someone and maybe playing Tyrell would help as well. Wait, I already do. <sighs> Green cards for beginners. <laughs> they are fantastic. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's how to let your deck win win games for you. It's just play green. Yeah. What does this do? Who cares if green? <laughs> Is that how it was in first edition as well, Tony? <laughs> um... <laughs> If that was the case, I'd, if that was the case, you'd be talking to uh, former national champion Tony Mikos rather than not. <laughs> Tony. Um, I mean, I mean, what colour cards did I yeah, play, Tony? I played the majority of the time. I played green as well. It seemed to get me quite a lot of power, just not at the not at the right times. Uh, first, don't get don't get me harping on about first edition uh, green cards. Don't, don't just don't, well, let's not go down that alley. Uh, I'll get all sentimental. I'll get all sentimental and start teeing up. Okay, but sure, we'll, we'll, we'll skip, skip over, over yeah. that then. Carry on, carry on. That's fine. It's fine. It's no problem. That's no problem. If you've got any questions as well, you want to phone by all means. Hang on a minute. I've just closed down the wrong app. Oh uh, no. That's okay because oh. because I have a drink every time someone mentions first edition. So that's that that's my answer <laughs> drinking game. First edition. That, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> Lovely. So anyway, I was walking down the first edition street the other day. Um, <laughs> first edition bottle. Really uh, nice. Yeah, I've, I've only got, I've only got to, half uh, a bottle left, so I might have to pace myself. Yeah, you, you, get, through, you get through that in about five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got this side. Go grab yourself at least three cans, keep them by your feet. Um Three titties. Speaking of which, what is your favourite type of drink, alcoholic beverage? That's a tough one. It is. I, I like I like so much alcohol. Um, probably, probably good quality vodka. Like like not not the cheapy stuff. Like there's a there's a distillery near, not far from where we live, um, Penderen. 
do vodka Ooh. and they also do whiskey and they are their whiskey is really and the nice. Pandaren whiskey I know is is roundabout so people might have tried them they also do vodka which I've only seen sold like near here and that is that is top quality like uh, have you tried their Bailey's knockoff Merlin no it is fantastic I might have to the distillery is like a, a 15 minute drive from me so I can uh, I can always pop down there. Right, I'm staying at the Wilkins, Darren. <laughs> there's there's been talk of a uh, of a Dazcon at some point next year, so. Will uh, uh, I've uh, I've got a I've got a bottle of Pendarin in my room. I can see it from here. Nice. It's, it's very Not nice sure. stuff. Very nice stuff. Okay, we're going with a nice vodka. Yes. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing fancy. Nothing special. Anything in the vodka, or do you just have it straight straight to the thing? A couple of ice cubes in there. Um, good quality vodka. Probably just one straight bit of ice, maybe. Um, I'll have vodka and like Coke when I'm out and I'm having shit quality vodka. But I think if you're having good one, you don't want to you don't want to be mixed. Come on, dilute that. Dilute that no. with non-alcohol. No, that's fair enough. So. I only have a few more questions left, which we have to ask because, of course, you're on the show. Which, um, out of the five, we're going to go with the five, not the four, was your favourite Spice Girl? Uh, Sporty Spice. Really? Controversial! That is controversial for this show. We've never had a Sporty Spice. You're our first one. That was... Craven, Craven likes Sporty Spice. Did he? Uh, oh. Oh, I need to change yeah, my option then. <laughs> I think he was a baby. I thought he was, <laughs> you know, I thought he was a baby Spice Girl. Baby Spice Girl? Baby Spice Girl. He thinks she's heavily underrated. Every, every... <laughs> I'm a Baby Spice man, obviously. I was I was a bit of a contrarian when I was young. I think everyone liked Baby Spice, and I thought Sporty Spice was, you know, a little bit of all right. Yeah, you got to rebel a little bit, you know. Yeah. In the Sporty Spice. I mean, I was... They were around the, the millennium, right? On 99, something like that? 98? 97. Yeah. Uh, so I was like maybe 10 years old 12 at a push um so yeah i i don't think i had a i don't think i quite had the hormones to really decide at the time but sporty well i'm younger than you but i certainly decided mm-hmm. <laughs> i speak um, of which we've never asked tony this question either tony which one was your favorite spice girl i was just about to say i know i'm relatively new to this podcast but no one's ever asked me the uh given me the spice girl question I was and remain a ginger spice apologist. Fair enough. <laughs> I feel I feel I have to add the apologist uh, on the end, but uh, I was Jerry all the way, mate. Yeah, yeah. So we've got sporty Jerry and two babies. <laughs> two babies, really, really. See, see, yeah, this way, yeah, this way, I don't have to share. Tony doesn't have to share. Yeah. So. <laughs> Like <laughs> <laughs> bonding experience if nothing else. It's nice to life. I've got, I've got to ask, Darren. I've got to ask. Um, we, we just mentioned first edition. Are you looking forward to being a CCG elitist? Oh, for um, for L5R. I, I can't yeah. wait. I'm going to make constant comparisons back to old cards. I'm going to complain <laughs> they need to bring other cards. The fact that the game's like totally different. Like Thrones was was a little bit of change to economy and and some. Des- design philosophy stuff but uh yeah l5 is totally different game doesn't matter i'm still gonna compare everything to the old one when i go to tournaments i'm gonna go 
hang out with my friends, and then when people come near us, we're just going to hiss at them until they back away. That's what we do. Um, that, that's... We don't hiss. <laughs> we're cliquey, but yeah, we don't The important hiss. thing is to be as pedantic and as tiresome as we all are when it comes to being a CPG apologist. Um, it's, it's, it's a crucial, crucial skill, and... I don't want to say apologist, I'm not apologising for it at all. But, um, well, yeah, welcome to the club. When it, when it happens, Darren, welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't wait, because there'll be all these all these Thrones players might end up showing up in L5LR and I can, like, like stick it back to them. <laughs> be like, well, we never, we never had Valor. We had no resets in the old game. You had to go out and win the good old-fashioned way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, by spending loads of money on boosting that. Hey. <laughs> All you had to do was win enough, and you never had to buy cards again. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I mean, granted, I didn't buy cards because people just like I used to just build my deck online, play online, and then send someone a deck list and say, "Bring this to the tournament for me." But you know, same thing. Ah, the reschool of yeah. deck building. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 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 Rent a deck for the price of the sleep. Well, they got they got stuff out of it because I used to do pretty pretty well. So I'd win a bunch of boosters and I'd just give it give them back to the guy who always lent me cards. So I would constantly have a good <laughs> like if I give them to him, then I know he has cards to lend me again. <laughs> That's wise. That I keep, all, keep all the swag and promos myself, and he can have all the crap I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's fair have you got any more uh, pressing questions then or do we let Darren go through I was going to ask Martin Kemp true or false oh mm. fantastic question uh, uh, Martin Kemp true or false yes 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 wasn't one of the options <laughs> uh, uh, false but I'm also uh, sure I've, I'm also sure I've heard the question before and should know where it's from and have missed a reference and I'm really annoyed because it sounds so familiar. Still <laughs> <laughs> here before. Um, That's probably at least However, the, the answer I'm afraid is true. Uh, Martin Kemp is is true, sadly. Uh, however, Jeremy Irons, true or false? <laughs> Uh, he's he's definitely true. Ah, uh, sorry, it's false. He does the washing up. <laughs> that's such. That's so stupid. It's a really. I wish I, I, wish I hadn't laughed at that. <laughs> and it <doesn't> makes sense. <laughs> it's 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 making me happy. Tony <laughs> has no idea what's going on. Um, neither do you yourself. Uh, but Dave's got a little grin on his face, regardless of what's going on. <laughs> I'm yeah. giggling. All um. Way. Crocodile Hammers is going to wet himself when he hears it, and everybody else won't get it. We need to start getting. I'm going to start (laughs) posting uh, copies of Martin Kemp True to people who who have been on the show. I think that's a nice way. I have just, I have just googled it and 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 sort of see the answer to the question. But yeah, (laughs) Yeah. a lovely autobiography there. Um, Okay, then. So I think really at the most in time, we're going to let you jump on. Tell us about the final game you played. Uh, most crucial of all of them. Uh, the rest of them, you know, we just build up for this, um, as is always the way. Um, and tell us how the final went down and how happy you were to win your first kind of big, 
Big tournament, well, I suppose. Big tournament. What was the uh, the turnout in the end, Dave? Eighty. Oh, okay. Yeah, go on, Darren. Tell us about how it felt to be eighty other people uh, at this game. It felt, you know, I'm not going to lie. It felt like I'd, I'd somehow vindicated myself. Uh, I've told everyone else their shit, so it was about time I stopped doing shit, and now I'm the best. Um, I should point out that this year I've started a podcast. I've done well at Blackwater, so Nationals is basically a guarantee, right? Yeah, that's how it works. Uh, sadly, we, we have looked at this, Darren. Um, and of course, I won Nationals in 2015. Yeah. And then the winner of Blackwater was Josh the following year, who is, of course, part of my posse. He's one of my bantermen. Uh, and then um, Ryan won Nationals, and now you've won. Um, you're one of his spicy meat boys, uh, whatever that <laughs> um, So, sadly, you're really only just riding, riding on Ryan's coattails. And so, whoever wins Nationals this year will win Blackwater next year with a borrowed deck. Uh, that seems to be the... Uh, sorry, whoever wins Nationals this year, their friends... Blackwater. One of their possible <laughs> Blackwater next year. Well, I, I don't, I've got Dan K tip to potentially take Nationals this year, so that, that, oh, okay. that'd be interesting. Liam Hall can come down and win Blackwater next year. Hmm. <laughs> it's an market. Only if he gets favorable matches, um, of course. The final, the final itself, like like as a game, actually was it was a bit weird because I his deck was weird and I was playing around Fowler the entire game, like all game long, because um, all I had I had a bunch of uniques, but without dupes of any of them, so just a bunch of one of uniques in my hand and I didn't want to overcommit because like I had nothing so I drew a fuck ton of cards. Like I spent like two turns just drawing up to fifteen cards every every turn. Um and still didn't draw any dupes. Uh until the final turn when it didn't matter and I was able to push like a bunch of renown at him and uh and win. The game was sort of a bit of, he he had pretty bad draws I think. He didn't get much economy or anything. But if I've known he wasn't running Valor, maybe I should have deck scouted him. Uh, I could have dumped all my renowned guys out way earlier and, and won probably two turns before I did. But no one told me he wasn't running Valor for some reason. Apparently <laughs> all my deck scouting was for nothing. Awful, awful. Have you got um, any particularly fond... Uh Fond plays or fond memories from the deck or the, the other games I think, play? I mean, the deck carried me through most of the games. I think the, the top eight against Builders was easily the hardest game I've probably played in a long time, where after my first snow turn, I was 13-0 down against Jeez. Builders. <laughs> I was like, like, all my friends who had been watching walked off, assuming I'd lost, like, I just <laughs> my head in my hands trying to do maths, trying to work out a way out of where I was. Um, and uh, and I just about got to... So, like, I went in a row, like, one per turn. I did a Varus, a Valor, a First Snow, then Political Disaster, which he riddled. So he lost the, uh, the shit he had duped. Didn't matter. Um, <laughs> Oh, the thing is worth it for that to happen. That's fucking outstanding. I know. I saw, I saw his riddle. I was like, yeah, suck it, Brandon's gift. That is amazing. That's amazing. Sorry, as you were. 
That was probably my favorite favorite flip of political disaster, but only because of what he flipped. Um, But then, like, that turn, I clawed some power and stuff then. But there was, like Vince had said, two minutes remaining halfway through the challenges phase. So I was, like, rushing through, rushing through, because at the end of that turn, I was still down six or seven power. Um, Managed to announce the end of turn and start looking at my plots, and I picked my plot while... Um, uh, what's his name? Wolver was still looking. Um, and Vince called time. I was like, "Well, I've picked my plot. We're in the plot phase, right?" So we got that extra turn, which <laughs> which I could win in. I flipped first snow, and he, he literally just had an empty board, and I stuck a like three more renowned guys into play. But coming uh, coming back from thirteen nil down against builders is is probably. The, yep. the hardest I've done in tournament. Yeah, give me that. Give me that. Yes. The gates that I, I did miss uh, at least, I stopped counting. Um, I started counting in about round two of Swiss and I stopped counting before the end of Swiss, but I missed at least 17 triggers for the old town informer. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, that was, you should trigger that more often. It's an amazing card. Every time I triggered it, I was like, this card's so broken. Why isn't there a limit on it? Yeah. yeah Put a fucking that. limit on it. Um, so, well, we'll, trigger it. we'll trigger it more in future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that was uh, was pretty good. Otherwise, yeah, it was, it was a good tournament. I enjoyed it. I It's the first tournament where I wasn't just looking to see if my friends were still doing good. Like I, It was people checking I was doing good, which is... Which, which is probably the first time, because normally I do shit, so. <laughs> That's not true. You made top four at Nationals last yeah, year. Yeah, I made right? top four at Nationals last year, and then, like, I haven't really done anything since then. Like, I went 3-3 at Euros this year, just lost out on the first day. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, I, I haven't really done much since Nationals last year. Some solid placings in regionals. I guess I've had two top eights this this one, so. Oh, well, yeah. congratulations! Mm. A solid showing. Thank you. And we're we're very proud of you. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you you your first. Yeah, style. that's that's going to be interesting because at least some of the people there don't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people, people are, more than a lot some, of people are style, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's, the there's a lot of are. there's a lot of UK players who who think I'm not awful going, so I'll hang out with them. But yeah, yeah no, I'm 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 really looking forward to uh, hashtag not my Euros. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it should should be good. It doesn't matter if I do well or not because yeah. it's just a piss up in a castle, right? Pretty much, exactly. yeah, exactly. Doing well is ancillary to. The experience of being at Starlet. Nice. I hope everyone remembers that when they start even get, for it. You even, much yeah, you even get to have a practice day on the Friday where you play with like three opponents instead of one. It's just like mm. a, it's a big practice, <laughs> a big practice for Saturday, and you make lots of friends. And uh, it's like being at camp, but more. <laughs> <laughs> you play this weird kind of like multiplayer version of the game where there's there's like three, 
and everyone kind of just shouts at each other quite a lot and gets really annoyed at some people and then kind of pats other people on the back and people win the game in like seven minutes and then you have you go outside for like a cigarette and then come back and do it again. But have a really nice day and meet lots of people you've never met and then play the proper game on it's, I did. I did one of those multiplayer games at Bristol, and everyone on my table hated everything about it because one guy decided that he was just going to make sure I won, and he told everyone at the start, "I'm just going to make Darren win," and then I won. That wouldn't that's be fair enough. enough. Yeah. Well, that's not great. Yeah. Yeah. That's not great. Uh, I mean, I, I was fine find. with it, but there was prizes for me. What you will find is uh, when you do play the one at Starlink, you will get sometimes put on tables where you are the only person speaking the particular language you speak. Um, better. You know, that's, that's kind of better. In some ways, yes. But when there's three German men on the table and you're the only Englishman sat there not quite sure what they're doing or what's going on, you just kind of like, I don't know what that card does. I'm just going to play this card and hope for the best. And just like, smile at them and nod. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I'd like to think that in some circumstances, sitting at a table, actually not understanding what anyone else says around it is a is a distinct advantage. Can you imagine playing at a melee table with Wedge and not understanding anything he said? <laughs> <laughs> that would be, that would be amazing. You'd have a really, really nice time. You wouldn't talk. You <laughs> might even win. <laughs> <laughs> just call it this. Just argue nice. everything. Just, no, I'm doing this and just do it regardless. Or just... Or I'll take Bitterbridge and just give everyone a really nice time. Just yeah. like, there you go. You have some high-cost characters, lads. Do you want one? Do you want one? Do you want one? Everybody gets one! That's the best way to play melee. It's a really weird format. I think the French invented it. And, we, you know, they, they, they seem to kind of take it quite seriously. Uh, but uh, that's the best. The best part about Starlink is having a big practice day on Friday. And yeah. then, uh, then playing proper Thrones on Saturday. I should probably should probably note it's a good job I won Blackwater because I reserved a ticket for Starlek way way back and then totally forgot to pay and then they <laughs> resold out by the time they by the time I realised I hadn't paid they'd already sold out again the 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 re release of tickets so I was like shit I need if I don't win Blackwater I can't go to Starlek can I so oh, so that, that well, was handy you're welcome well, there you know there you've got it. Um, and yeah, it's going to be your first one. You should, uh, fingers crossed, enjoy it. So, Peel, yes. your probing questions have put together what I consider the profile of a champion. Yes, that's what I was going for. You see, yeah. I, don't, I don't need to know about the games because the games, like I said, are irrelevant. The games yeah. are what you've done before. You know, let's be honest. We will play the finest thrones we've ever played in our life, Tony. We're possibly we're just as good a caliber as other players, Tony. We're just we're not in the right mindset, and I think that's what we need to change. And I know, I'm, especially me, you know, that's why I need I need to get my mindset before I go in. So I'm going to try doing no caffeine except for Dr Pepper. Um, a lot of Dr Pepper though. There's eleven cans of, of caffeine. Yeah, <laughs> all right. eleven cans of it. I can do that. I'll get like eleven cans of it back. Not all at once, Bill. Not all at once. <laughs> Technicalities, Dave. Technicalities. Um, you know, and then just drink single malt vodka. Not that's not even a thing. Um, just, just, <laughs> just still, I, Apparently, I don't drink vodka or know anything about it. Uh, who if, would have guessed? If you want to, if you want to win Starlick, I can try and bring you some, uh, bring you some Pandaren vodka. I won't be at Starlick, I'm afraid, unfortunately, this year. Oh well. We've had, I've got, yeah, stag booze and stuff. Um, if, if you want to bring it to uh, to mine beforehand, Darren, then you're, you're welcome. I might do that, actually. 
as a, as a thank you for letting me crash and, and, and whatnot. What you've forgotten is not only have you got to have a penchant for crazy Welsh uh, vodka, you've also got to overpay for salad-free sandwiches yes. and, and have your MOT due in about a month. The worst problem, <laughs> the worst problem is though, I can't eat a sandwich without brown sauce on. That would just be just, like, especially a bacon sarnie. If I had a, I'm sure that's not well, true. You know I mean? it, I'm sure I've seen you have sandwiches. That I've had ketchup sauce. on them instead, Dave. Maybe on occasion. That's about as far as we're going to go. You know, it depends what food I'm in. But no, bacon sarnies. I'm sorry, dry sandwiches. I would, I'd, I'd, I'd have to eat, drink the hot what? chocolate. Well, Why would you want anything covering the taste of bacon? That's just. Stupid. Well, what I'll do is I'll dip the bacon in the hot chocolate to give it some moisture. <laughs> you know what's sad is that sounds kind of nice. Does a bit. I totally can try that. You're jumping me there straight away. Like, oh, oh, what an idiot! That. He's not going to. That's going to taste horrible. And then you realise, well, hang on a minute. Delicious. I've, yeah. I've had I've had caramel sauce on a steak baguette, so I, I could try that. Would you consider having Nutella <laughs> in the bacon sarni next time? Having what? Nutella in the bacon sarni. Cut out the middle, man. Put the chocolate bread. Cho- chocolate spread, yes. Nutella, no. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So you're not... Is it, is I, it the hazelnuts? You, I am not a, not a nuts not kind of guy. Not a nuts kind of guy. Hazel Dunn doesn't like hazelnuts. Exactly. exactly. I'm, the one reason I'm sad about that is that you'll never enjoy a Kinder Bueno on a summer's day. <laughs> 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 you know, it... It upsets me when people can't try Kinder Buenos because they're just so nice. And they're like, you can't explain to people why a white kin- chocolate Kinder Bueno is the best thing ever made um, until they've had one. I mean, I have those little, the stuff that are like Kinder Eggs, but in bar form that have like the white filling. Yeah, and it's that chocolate on a nice hazelnut biscuit. Yeah, but. Yeah. Ugh. The Bueno is just the next level down. Next level next down. down. No, it's next level up. No, yeah. next level up. It's just it's, it's wonderful. It's bigger. It's more intense. You can buy it from all shops, not just various shops. For some reason, those little Kinder ones, I can only find them in like pound shops for years, and like that was it. But now they're everywhere. But they used to be a rarity. But the Bueno. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course. I think with that, uh, do you have anything else to add, Darren? Uh, about the tournament or your deck or anything um, before we uh, we move on to our next uh, guest. No, I think well the deck the deck wasn't mine, so it's hard to comment. But Ben Ben Fox actually posted like a huge fucking essay on the where I've posted it on Thrones DB. He's posted his own huge essay about why he chose the deck and all that shit. So uh, that that's probably worth a read if you want like a serious Thrones read. Um, I think everyone should go. Everyone who likes L5R should go listen to uh, my podcast Troll 5R, um, where we occasionally release episodes every so often when I get my fucking ass in in gear. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, we're we're about as regular as banter was for the last few months. Um, but but yeah, no, should. I don't think there's anything else. Good tournament. Thank you very much for hosting it, Dave. It was and and the other tos of course. Um, it was a good laugh. Lovely. Well, thank you for joining us, Darren. It's been an absolute I, pleasure. Yeah, 
I've I've finally fulfilled my my year long dream of getting on banter back when I actually had a minor minor moment of hero worship the first time I met you. That, oh, that, that well, didn't well, yeah. that didn't last it. Do, do you want to uh, do you want to recall your your hero worship on beating me and how well this that is a that terrible game idea. Went? Just it's such a bad idea. Just cut now. I don't want to hear this. <laughs> Wait, was that Stevenage or Northampton? Oh shit! Yeah, I no, that game was awful. <laughs> <laughs> Darren was playing the uh, Sam Bratz's World Step, um, and he, he he had a bit of a smile on his face. And obviously, I called yeah, his name. Yeah, I stuck I stuck uh, milk on like a really important character, and then at, as soon as I milked, I looked at my plot deck. <laughs> so Dave obviously called my navel, and then I felt really bad because I couldn't do shit about it. Yeah, it's it's not like I had watched Sam Bratz play that for like eight <laughs> rounds in a row. Like, <laughs> yeah. To be fair, that 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 minor hero, like, oh wow, it's that guy off that podcast. That didn't last long. Yeah, it doesn't, does it? No. You meet him, and then you just realise that, like, he's just the same as anyone else. Maybe a little worse. Well, I'm, well I'm this is all we're this whole, thing, this whole segment. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be an intro which says we're getting Darren on, and then it's just going to skip to yeah. the next uh, the next coast now. You know, <laughs> we're down, that's it. We, you know, Darren, uh, Darren went back to his home planet, you know, right <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I did plug Banter Behind the Throne on the on the other podcast that I recorded on earlier. And, and I didn't even say their name here, so like you know. <laughs> Good job, mate. Yeah. Well done. well done. Congratulations again. No worries. I'll let you guys get on with with all the other recording. Good one. Right. Thank <laughs> you, Darren. And we'll see you soon. Okay, then that was Darren with his interview there. And now we're going to be looking at the jankiest deck with uh, Mr. Sam. Sam, if you'd like to introduce yourself, uh, what's your name and where do you come from? Hi, I'm Sam Pigden. I play down in the London meta and I've been playing second edition since the start and a fair amount of first edition. Okay, Dave, do you want to start off with any questions before or do you want me just to jump straight into it and ask the um, the breakfast? No, it's it's fine. I'll, I'll give a quick background towards uh, why we've got Sam on. Uh, Sam was the winner of the jankiest deck prize, which was provided by Simon Hansen um, and took the form of a wooden iron throne with removable swords for power tokens. Um, and so Sam's deck was rather nonsense and it was judged as such uh, by George Anker's Simon, uh, Whammer and myself. Um, he beat out a number of contenders, including uh, Tony's wife, Helen, who sadly, despite being probably the person who's built the most janky decks I've ever seen, this time <laughs> didn't didn't really cut the mustard. She didn't outdo herself this time, sadly. It was more of a, uh, a good deck with some nonsense rather than just out-and-out nonsense. Nah, it's not enough to cut it. No. Um, Rowan had a deck which was designed to abuse House Florent Knight as much as possible and had a Star Wars Death Star dial to count the number of triggers for both that and Elena's informant, but they were depressingly few. And again, a lot of his um, tech was a melee deck that he had appropriated for Joust, so it wasn't completely original. Mm. Um, There was a character light deck from uh, Liam Hall, which was very interesting, and had some uh, rather fabulous plays. Mm. Um, 
and uh, and a couple of other decks which I now forget. <laughs> but <laughs> it was a long time ago. Peel, I'll I'll hand you over to ask Sam some questions about his day and his deck. Okay then. Uh, to begin with, Sam, we're trying to get in the mindset of how to build certain things, how to do certain events, such as win or build janky decks. Uh, janky decks, sorry. So <laughs> I can't use words at the moment. Um, so what we're going to be hard. doing is. It is. It's been a long day. It's my first day back at work. I'm just... Uh, and I'm just... Oh, it's so long now. Um, right. So, Sam, when you were planning your deck, what was the most recent meal you had eaten? Um, I usually make, like, a big batch meal of this, like, curry-type stuff that usually does me for four or five meals in a week. So, it was that. Curry-type curry stuff. Slow cooked yeah. curry? It's probably just a curry, but it's not really any of the specific <laughs> curries with names. What was the meat, or are you not allowed to say? <laughs> for uh, yeah, for <laughs> legal reasons. Curry. <laughs> it, was, it was pork meat, I think. Cork meat, did you say? Pork. Pork. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cork. <laughs> Times are tough. Irish chopped up porks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well now we're, we're past that unpleasant hurdle. <laughs> I was just thinking about the fields of wild cork. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> running us. They are just like quick catch them. We need them for wine and just <laughs> sell their giblets to strange men. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they need them. <laughs> For their meats um but okay <laughs> so what you basically you're saying is we need to cook a meal um not out of cork out of pork um and last it for about four days to balance it out to get in that mindset oh i already yeah. do that with bolognese dave i'm in there already oh you could be building some solid junk if only you paid attention to the carpool <laughs> <laughs> i'll go on the um thrones db page and have a little play around again and just send it to you like tomorrow morning and just you can just look at it and just go <laughs> <laughs> try and figure it out <laughs> um, right okay so then you ate that came up with a deck idea what was it like going into a tournament with a deck that you hadn't really built so how do I put it when you build a janky deck you build it for the idea of success but you don't build it with a confidence you don't You don't go in thinking aha this deck's going to do well you kind of think it out with more curiosity how did it feel going in with more curiosity than confidence um, I was still quite feeling quite rough from the night before, so actually having a deck that I kind of knew wasn't too much expected of me was quite liberating. <laughs> Meant I could uh, just not really focus too much on the game if I didn't need to. You mean physically focus on the cards? Yeah, physically <laughs> focus on the cards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I find that being hungover is the recipe for success. <laughs> Going to tournament sober is hopeless. So I can't do tournaments hungover. I feel really, really bad the whole time. I'm just sat there, just count down the minutes so I can go outside or go like panic in the toilets. <laughs> I just want to go lie down in a dark room when I'm hungover. Like let alone look at a board thing where stuff's happening and I have to calculate it. It's really hard, Dave. <laughs> However you do it, I don't know, but I can't. It's all instinct feel. You just wing it. <laughs> it's like panicking and just slapping down a car like ah. <laughs> Go on, carry on. 
Yeah, sure, no problem. So, I mean, during the day, what was your designated drink of choice? I I didn't actually drink that much throughout the day during the tournament. So, rather boringly, it was just water. Maybe some coffees as well, but mostly water. <laughs> Ooh, we've learned that caffeine is not great for budding champions. Uh, <laughs> and that they encourage you to drink one drink per round. So, maybe that's where you went that- wrong. That drink was Dr. Pepper. Um, yeah. <laughs> quite a bit of caffeine, really, isn't it? Um, I guess so, but you don't start with caffeine, okay. do you? No, you don't. It's like a slow build-up. Mm-hmm. That's when I'm going wrong. Damn it. Maybe. I just hit it all. Yeah. You know, you wake up and neck as many espressos as you can get in a single large mug. Like, come on! Um, that's the way. And then you have your hand it. shaking. Yeah, you have your <laughs> hand shaking play every single car. <laughs> so it looks... To your opponent, it looks like you're really, really nervous. It looks like you're about to play some fantastic, you know, fantastic janky event. You're about to pull off some amazing play. And actually, it's because you can't keep your hand still because of the number of espressos you've necked. <laughs> that's, that's my first round every single tournament. Like, by <laughs> 10 past 10, round one, I'm shaking as I fucking marshal locations. You know what I mean? But, you know, this is me. <laughs> The amount of monster. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> what was the best uh, opponent you played against in their deck? Oof. I was trying to get my uh, Blackwater Jousting Pavilion up. I think the best game I had was probably against French player, John Zed. I can't remember what his, his surname was, but he comes up as John Zed and uh, he just had a lot of kneeling stuff with his uh, Barra. And I had a lot of standing stuff with all of the uh, <laughs> all of the standing uh, targ things and aggo. So I don't think he had a very fun time against me. Um, yeah, that's probably a good opportunity for you to explain what your deck was before Peel quizzes you further. <laughs> um, good question. <laughs> <laughs> while while Peel knew what Darren was going in was playing before um, before we interviewed him. Yours is yours probably warrants some explaining. So, do you want to talk us through your thought process for choosing this deck and uh, and what exactly it did? So, I really wanted to take some of the more recently released cards. So, Breaker of Chains was something that I really wanted to use, just because I saw a lot of the reviews online not being very uh, uh, positive about it. And then I was going to take Sworn to the Watch because I think it's quite fun. And so because I was doing a break with Chain Sworn to the Watch, because I wanted to do a, a low-curve kind of Night's Watch characters, because I think they've got the best two-costers and one-costers, I was swearing to the Watch a Targ character. I thought the best Targ character to swear to the Watch would naturally be Ago, because he can stand himself as well. Makes sense. And, and with Jeremy Riker out, he then becomes a Tricon. And with Saturn out, he becomes a Tricon that can make three challenges and put out three two-costers. <laughs> Including Saturn. Saturn's two-costers. Including Saturn, who can stand him as well. And oh, it's, it's great. Well, and Sam, why, I don't understand why you didn't win the whole tournament with this. It's such amazing. <laughs> I came up against uh, Barra Kraken, I think, three times. And Ooh. that was just, it was absolutely grim. I... Oh no, I came against Barra, Barra twice and Barra Kraken once and it wasn't wasn't particularly fun. 
Crescent just absolutely ruins uh, mm-hmm. my day. That condition, yeah. It's a condition, isn't it? Sworn okay, to yeah, watch. Yeah, Sworn yeah. to watch is a condition. Yeah, it's on my control. You'd have thought that Ago's a good, good card to have against um, Rathian, right? So he stands himself. Seems like an easy matchup. Yeah, but then you just kneel him again. Yeah, and he gets up again. Yeah. I think the issue was I didn't see Ago, and also maybe he wouldn't have helped too much against like a Robert or something like that. Where it's fine going in with a break with chains Ago, but then when they're setting multiple resets with like Valor and Wildfire, you don't really get many two costers to back up the break with chains. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, it's a lot of combo pieces to get out while they're just chucking out Renown and stuff while you're trying mm. to get together these cards. So the most important thing, the most important thing is, was it fun? It was fun with the exception of a couple of games. So I had a game, uh, I think my third game was against Barry and it ended up, I didn't see any of the target cards at all. So it just became a rather grim wall defense deck with a load of really low cost two characters and trying to beat back a very high claim military uh, deck. So I just had to constantly check out these guys who then got killed and the wall managed to stand throughout. But it just basically turned into a rather dull wall defense game. So that is that, that's your backup plan if you can't get aggo off, then you just kind of sit there and try and trigger the wall. Yeah, hope that a, uh, a less than optimal wall deck is enough to see me through. No builders. <laughs> yeah, there are exactly four builders in the deck. I'm going to guess three of the one costers. No, actually, I, I when I put the deck together, I forgot about them entirely. So it's just Shadow Tower Masons. Uh, and Halder? Yeah, one copy of Halder. That's one to the watch. Yeah. Um, so how much stand did you actually have in the deck for this Voltron Aggo? Um, you've got Satin, you've got Aggo himself. Castle Black? Uh, yeah, Castle Black. I've got Magister Illyrio and I've got Plaza of Pride. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it's a job on the deck. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you have any other characters that could win challenges? <laughs> Gren. Gren was great. Gren and Aggo are the match made in heaven. <laughs> yes. But only when you've got Swords of the Watch with Aggo. Otherwise, it's just <laughs> an eight-strength military challenge. <laughs> That's not very exciting <laughs> at all. No. <laughs> did you run um, Did you run Barristan Selmy? I had talks with people who were looking at Breaker Chains decks before, and I think Barristan Selmy is really bad out of Night's Watch, just because a lot of the good <laughs> Night's Watch one-cost and two-costers are things like Messenger Ravens and Sam, which give you a load of cards, and you're using those cards to draw more two-costers to then chuck down, so I don't think you're often in a position where you've got fewer cards in hand than your opponent. Okay. Never. Um, was, was Ago the absolute top of your curve, or did you go any higher than him? Ago was a top because I was also running dual, so I didn't want to go any higher. Fantastic. Okay. So now you've got an idea. Oh, go on. Sorry, Tony. No, no, no. Go on, Dave. Go on. I was just going to say, now you've got an idea of what the deck does appeal. Do you have any further questions to Sam? 
It always stands um, that he was smoking before he came up with the nonsense. <laughs> it does almost remind me of a um, almost like a first edition deck with just a hyped up character because I used to see a lot more of them in first edition. I haven't seen much in second at the moment. Mm, the I know that's like a throwback to the old. Yeah, do you know what I mean? There was more Voltron decks available. There's not been as many that I can think of uh, in second edition so far. So it's quite nice to see they might be almost coming back. <laughs> Shaped Ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you play that? Yeah, Ideally, yes, to the others. I mean, I can see the 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 thing about putting a Voltron deck together, certainly in first edition, was that you you needed to have a character that uh, either didn't kneel to attack or had multiple ways of standing, and I can't, you know, there aren't many, there aren't enormous way a number of ways to do that. And what you've done there, Sam, is you've figured out a fucking phenomenal way to basically get a guy involved in as many challenges as you possibly can. Um, unfortunately, it takes a whole combination of cards to make him do that. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, it does feel a bit more like a first edition Voltron deck because thanks to things like Vigilant and Vengeful and all that in first edition, it was much easier to kind of get to, yeah, just get back up again, uh, mm-hmm. after you had kind of had that challenge. So, no, good, good job. Did you, uh, did you run Longclaw? to give Ago renown? I thought about it, but I thought getting Ago, Swarm to the Watch, Broker Chains, and Longclaw out would probably be a bit too difficult. <laughs> too janky. Yeah. I thought about putting in those builders, the Night's Watch ones that you can search the top 10 cards or something like that, but then I'd be putting them in just to power up Ago or Magistralero, so I'd need to see them and the builders and not see the attachments, so... Okay. I thought I might as well try and optimise my jank slightly. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. So, did Magister Illyrio uh, become a backup Voltron at any point? He was. In my first game, he was a backup Voltron, and he got to a mighty 12 strength. That's very impressive. <laughs> How big did Ago get? Ago was very disappointing. He, uh, I think the most he got up to was about seven or eight before being killed. That's terrible. He received a lot more hate, I found, than Magister Illyrio did. <laughs> when they both had Breaker Chains and Sworn to the Watch, Ago took a lot more beatings than uh, Illyrio would. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the poor boy. Poor boy. Um... So what we're saying really is that Magister Illyrio is the better Voltron. The fat, yes. <laughs> the fat landed noble is better than the, the live Blood Rider. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Um, do you think the, leg, the deck would have any legs the other way around, out of Targ with some Night's Watch support? Or is the Night's Watch main house particularly important? Yeah, I thought about that, but I don't like it quite as much, just because I think the better Night's Watch two drops are, I don't know, are loyal. I wanted to get the Shadow Tower Masons in, because I thought they were the best ones to go for. And then to get them going, you need to be running Cravens and more and more Night's Watch stuff. So I thought, and I also kind of wanted to run Swans to Watch, just because that's a bit of a fringe card. So I thought that would up my uh, jank credentials at the end of the day. It definitely did. It was <laughs> and that's <way>. loyal, so... <laughs> More stand, strength boosts, um, power power icon with Jeremy. Yeah, oh, it's lovely. Um, have you yeah. posted your list on Thrones TV or anything? 
I, I haven't posted my list on Thrones DB. I was worried because it's 63 cards. So. Oh, God! <laughs> in a Voltron deck where you need Please. to see aggro turn one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do like that you can save them with Maester Aemon, though. That's nice. Yes. That, that, was, that did happen several times. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, uh, Peel, have you got any further, further questions for Sam? No, other than did, in the end, you have a nice time with your uh, newly made Voltron deck? Uh, I had a great time. I think uh, it was definitely helped by when I explained to people how bad the deck was and they lost any uh, need to be competitive against it. It made for some much more relaxing games at the end of the day. That's always nice, where you can just, just have a little fun, not worry about winning. Just explain to them what it does. Here, you get a card, and I get a card. Woo! <laughs> Okay, have you got anything you'd like to add, Sam? No. <laughs> well, then, thank you for joining us. No, thank you. Right, okay, so now we are joined by uh, Alex, who came second at the uh, Highlander Draft of First Edition, which I do believe it was his first time ever playing the game. So, Alex, what deck did you draft? Um, well, I drafted Martel, no agenda, but I was having a character agenda in my deck, which we'll get onto later. Not okay. the character that you probably think in Martel No Agenda. That's fair enough. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a few of them now. So Tony and Dave also took part. Um, Dave, Tony, would you like to tell us what you two drafted? Tony, do you want to take that first? Yeah, yeah I'll go I'll go first. Um, let me see. Well, we were split into two pods. It was 20 of us for Highlander drafts. So we had two pods of 10. Um uh, for those of you that don't know the the Highlander draft cube that we have, uh, that, that that Dave has um, involves everyone being given a random agenda to begin with to try and kind of I guess influence their drafting. I uh, I got given the air no, not air yeah air to the iron throne isn't it not power behind the throne I'm getting them mixed up air to the iron throne which is a Targaryen only agenda unfortunately. Which kind of influenced what I drafted for uh, for 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 the cube, and then in the end I didn't even use it. I ended up building a Targ Barra deck with the treaty agenda that you use in in draft, and had an absolutely lovely time playing it. I only got I mean we only played three games because we managed to get a kind of clear winner out of each of the each of the the ten person pods. Uh, with three, you know, with simply, simple with three games. Um, and I lost my first game, unfortunately, uh, thanks to a load of horribly unforced errors against the Greyjoy deck. But then I had a lovely, lovely game against, uh, Bambi, um, and frankly, wiped the fucking floor with him. <laughs> uh, then, <laughs> uh, which I because I never. I never get to say that about second edition or anything else, but 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 with oh, that that was a beautiful game. And then I got I had a lovely game with a had a lovely game against Rowan, who had of course built some janky bullshit <laughs> uh, involving involving Baratheon and God knows what. Uh, I ended up winning that game with twenty nine power. Oh wow! Because yeah, it took twenty nine power because of uh, corset Melisandra. <laughs> Corset Melisandre for those. Yep, the Corset Melisandre for the uninitiated uh, among you uh, has a cheeky little passive ability that says that opponents' characters 
power that is on opponent's characters does not count towards their power total. So all the renown <laughs> that you build up over the space of the game is worth absolutely solid. And as I didn't have a Valor, I, he didn't have a full reset, and sat with Cormel sitting on the board for the entire game. Uh, I searched the deck for my nightmares, couldn't find my nightmares, so I had no option but to just plow on and win the game with 29 power. <laughs> 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 uh, it was literally the only thing, the only thing I could do was just keep playing and keep playing and by, by, at the end of the day I think my Mad King had about 5 power on him uh, my Knight of Flowers had about 5 or 6 power on him but uh, I had to get to 20 to win and uh, 29 I did it wasn't enough to win the pod but of course I had a level because that Hound of Jack Cube absolutely lovely thing to play fantastic fantastic um I uh, I drafted. I, I I was given the Knights of the Realm agenda when I when I started to draft, and I thought, oh, okay, you know what? For the first time, I won't draft Martel. I'll draft um, <laughs> I'll draft other things. Uh, I'll, I'll try and draft some Barrett or something. And then, of course, you know, the first card I get uh, passed was like Venomous Blade. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> Here we go again. Um, I'm <laughs> getting past really good Martel cards. Like I got past Gaston Grey. Um, I got past a couple of other nice things. Um, I, I still tried to draft knights, but unfortunately, as people who are familiar with the first edition card pool know, Martel doesn't have many knights, and the good knights it has are blank if you're running an agenda that isn't a character agenda. So they're kind of useless. Um, so, of course, you know, I, I did draft some rather nice Baratheon knights while I was there, like uh, the um, Knight of Flowers that doesn't kneel while there's no cards in shadows. Um, and eventually I just made it Martel and Baratheon. Um, towards the end, I picked up one of my last pods and uh, I looked through a load of, you know, because the cards are completely random, you don't know what uh, what they're going to be. Um, there's no rarity or anything, everything's just one off. So I looked through, you know, first eight cards, trash. Uh, card nine, it's the Warcrest Viper. I was like, oh, hey. he's good in Martell, isn't he? Um, <laughs> and then card ten was Prince of the Sun Viper. I was like, oh, okay, I'll take him instead then. So that was <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so it has happened that every single time I've played this draft pool, with the exception of once, I've drafted the Red Viper. As in the Princess of the Sun Red Viper. And the only time I didn't draft him was when we were playing with an incomplete pool and he wasn't available to draft. So I don't know how that keeps happening, but I'm not going to complain. Um, I also, for probably, the, this is probably, I think there's maybe one instance where this didn't happen, drafted the prized Daenerys. Um, so that was good. Uh, and then I got to draft a Valor as well. So I was quids in, really. Um, I beat Helen before it was even a game, really, using uh, the Baron and Selmy who burns people by discarding cards. Um, I went on to beat Brian when I Melisandre, Melisandre's favoured his Viper, and then he Red Vengeance by military plane, so I killed his Viper. That was <laughs> odd. Um, so, Vengeance Freelia for second edition players. Uh, and then I beat Wedge in, in a I have all the renowned bullshit uh, against his much better played uh, lower curve deck, um, but that's fine. You know, that happens. Uh, in which I actually managed to sack the Bantanites 
for those who don't know. They're a 12 for 12 knight uh, army, I think they are. Um, to Harrenhal. So I, I killed my own banter knights to cancel an effect, uh, which was very Whoa. satisfying. Um, satisfying? <laughs> yeah, well, they had been knelt immediately, so they, I still got the use out of them, I guess. They, they took a kneel effect and then used them to cancel something very important. Um, and win the game, so. It was the fact that I managed to include a, de- a card for every faction in my deck. Uh, which was always fun. So I had obviously Martel and Barra cards. I had, uh, Prize Daenerys and Barristan from Targaryen. I had Jalabar Jo, who stopped opponents claiming renown from Lannister, and I had an Iron Mines from Greyjoy. So, uh. You had a save from Greyjoy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Greyjoy. So, I need a save. That Instantly, really you just take it, no matter what house you're in. Just yep. <laughs> oh yeah, two gold, well worth it. <laughs> Bargain. Okay, so um, with that, Alex, would you like to talk about your deck? What you yeah, so you draft? Yeah, so my deck had a lot less good things in it um, because I wasn't lucky enough to get Pots Viper. Um, my first pot that I pulled, um, I. Well, let me let me start off from the beginning. I suppose I started off going into the 1.0 draft, having no idea what the card pool was and understanding that we were going to be given a random agenda. So my initial thought was I will go with whatever random agenda I'm given unless it's if it is blood first. And if it is anything else, I will not play that agenda. So I didn't get blood first. I got um, the I think it's the power behind the throne one, which is the Lannister one. Yep. The tree one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the one, it basically gives you, is it you can initially gain power through intrigue challenges or, or something like that? You do a second intrigue challenge, uh, and if an opponent yeah. wins an intrigue challenge against you, they can draw a card or claim a power. Yeah. So that that was kind of interesting, and I, th- I thought I'd give it a go. And in my first pack, um, clearly the fates had decided that I wasn't going to do that because I I didn't get any Lannister cards. What I did get was four different Martell cards, all of which I wanted. Um, one of which was um, Ariane Martell, who I think was from Prince of the Sun, um, who is basically a more broken version of Core Cersei from Second Edition, um, in that Core Cersei raises a claim during intrigue challenges. Um, Ariane Martell raises claim during any challenge and has stealth. Mm. Yes, she does. She was lovely. Yeah. She was. She worked really well for me all day. Um, so in terms of other things that I drafted that were notable, um, I drafted a bunch of other uh, Martel cards, including um, a card that I hear is quite renowned in the 1.0 card pool, which was the Viper's Bannerman. Um, so, yeah, that was quite good. I got um, the Housestained Reserves, which I got one trigger off with all day, which we'll get on to later. Um, I've got... I got Littlefinger, who I thought was awesome because he was basically Tywin. Um, and I've been reliably informed that he was terrible um, because he had the ally trait, unlike Tywin. And there was a lot of ally hate in the first edition. Uh-huh. However, what I found interesting was that in draft, no one was playing ally hate and no one was playing Valor. So if you got Littlefinger out on the board, um, you got a massive econ boost as long as you could be protecting because he basically has the same stats as time without a military icon but he's got stealth instead so in draft that character is an absolute bomb whereas in main first ed edition um i think little thing was probably garbage which is pretty much what everybody said to me on the day but it filled me with great pride playing a card that nobody in first edition had ever seen all thought was rubbish and turning out mm-hmm. to be amazing <laughs> 
Um, and then probably the most important part of the deck, the, the part that made it all work, apart from Zolo, um, who was a complete beast, was a great card that had such important traits as Lord, Mercenary and Traitor, had free strength, had all three icons, um, and was the Tattered Prince, um, <laughs> who is absolutely brilliant. And I was reliably informed by Rowan, master of all jank, that if you draft Tattered Prince early, he's great. I didn't draft Tattered Prince early. I think he was in my last pod and I got given him because no one else wanted him. But I did have a surprising amount of mercenaries in my deck. (laughs) All than you would normally expect. Um, But despite the fact, Despite that, regardless of whether you trigger him, um, he seems quite good. So the main reason why we... Do you want to, um, talk, to people get... talk to people about what the Tattered Prince actually does? Because even for a lot yeah. of first edition players, they don't know what he does. Because <laughs> he was seriously That's been... bad in constructing. <laughs> and the only was, player I've ever seen play him was Rowan. And he was playing him at, uh, at the Norwich Store Championship many years ago um, because there was quite a few new Norwich players. Um, and he wanted to play like a softer deck so they could... Uh, you know, come to a store championship and be a bit friendly. These new players There's... were Bambi and Reese. Um, <laughs> and Reese brought Bloodthirst <laughs> and made the top four. <laughs> so, uh. Can I just, I just say, Dave, there's nothing soft about the Tattered Prince. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's nothing soft about that man. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, Tattered Prince, um, he has no abilities other than one. If the Tattered Prince would be killed, instead, attach him to your house card as your only agenda. With the text, ignore all gold penalties when playing out-of-house mercenary characters and lower the cost of the first mercenary character you play each round by one. So just for a bit of context, um, in first edition, um, for second-ed players out there, you had no banner agendas, so you could effectively play any out-of-house card that you wanted to. But that card's cost was boosted by two. Um, so if you were playing, if you were playing a deck as Dave kind of alluded to earlier, you can play any cards from all six factions in it. You just have to be able to pay for them, which is why people play the treaty agenda so that they can play multiple cards if their draft hasn't gone the way they want it to. Um, so yeah, so this guy's quite good if you run a lot of mercenaries. The problem is there was only about four mercenaries in the entirety of first edition, which doesn't bode well for second edition. Oh, there were some fantastic mercenaries in first edition. Um, oh, it's just not worth playing him. Uh, I mean, the best, <laughs> the best mercenary, the southern mercenaries, were shadows, so they couldn't be reduced by him anyway. And were House Martel only, so even if they could, they, you know, they could only be played in Martel. Yeah. So, yeah. Carry on. But I think the main reason why I, why, I, why I played with the Tad Prince was that, to be perfectly frank, my draft of Martel cards didn't go particularly well, and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't playing Treaty. Because although I know nothing about first edition, the idea of trying to get to 20 power to win the game just seemed completely unattainable for me. So I would much rather play no agenda and try and do main house Martel um, and include as many neutral cards as possible. And the Tattered Prince, because he was neutral, um, fit into that strategy perfectly. Um, so, yeah, um, that was pretty much my deck. I don't think there was anything too significant about it. Oh, there is one other point of context. I felt I had to play him because being from the London meta, where we're all known as the cross-key sellswords, and we named ourselves after the worst mercenary in second edition, 
the crossroads that was like. I felt that I had to experience playing the worst mercenary in first edition, which by all was the Tattered Prince. What about your uh, Dothraki module? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So yeah, because um, I, I wanted in um, second edition recently to play Martel Banner Dragon, but the Targ module hasn't really been there for Martel. So as I was kind of going through, and I noticed that the um, the way the econ locations in first edition work is you have locations that are King's Roads effectively for two houses. Um, so Martel and Dragon in this instance, which I think was the Summer Sea or something like that. Yes. Yeah. So. Anyway, yeah, East Summer Sea or something like that. Anyway, it doesn't really matter because ultimately I took that again as a side of fate that I was meant to play Martel Dragon on the day. So I had a bit of a Dothraki module, including I think it was what was it, the Dothraki Screamers? The braided who when you play yeah. the braided screamers. So when you play a Dothraki character, and bear in mind in a fifty card deck I had five, so they were totally legit. <laughs> um, you could search the top. Ten? Five. Top five. <laughs> oh, there we go, magic number. Um, top five cards of your deck for a Dothraki character and then add them to your hand. Um, and I think I triggered him five times during the day and found no Dothraki characters. <laughs> so the Dothraki Major went very, very well. <laughs> it was good fun, though. I could not believe my eyes when you played that because, of course, <laughs> the beauty of it is is that the Braided Screamers only trigger if you have no agenda or a character agenda. So, you know, you wouldn't play them in Martel Treaty to Dragon, but you can play them in Martel No Agenda. Yes, you can, <laughs> if you want to pay six gold for what is essentially now an inefficient body. Yeah, and I, I don't know why. I think there was some kind of like weird fever dream thing going on throughout the entire day where as the day went on, it became very, very clear what I was trying to do by virtue of me um, not having... Um, any any reason to play the Lannister agenda and not thinking that the treaty agenda was any good. So it, it got to about 20 cards in the draft where I decided there is no, I'm not going to play an agenda. So if I see anything with the words, whilst you are not playing an agenda, I'm just going to shove that in. And I heard character agendas were a really good idea. I was hoping to get Quentin Martel. So when the Tattered Prince appeared, instead of Quentin Martel, I felt, well, I've just got to fucking go for it now, haven't I? <laughs> That's very true. Oh, I'm just being miserable. <laughs> oh dear, the, the poor thing. So, um, and how did your deck perform for you? Um, so surprisingly well, despite the fact it was a pile of nonsense, I think, by all accounts. So I can't remember the plots that I drafted particularly, but I, a couple of ones leapt out to me was that I played some castle plots, one of which was Fallen from Favour, um, and I think the other one was either King of the Vale or something. It didn't really King, do much. Kings of Mountain and Vale. Kings of Mountain and Vale. So, so that was um, those were two um, plots that I picked that had the castle trait, and I had a very small castle module of Lofa Brune, um, which we'll get onto later. But his main thing was that he doesn't kneel to attack or defend while you have a castle plot revealed. Um, so he was quite good. So on the day, it was a kind of mixed bag where I'd find different pieces of my deck in different games. Um, and some of those pieces would perform admirably and some of them would perform less well than others. I think I had an innate advantage going into it in that even despite the fact I've never played 1.0 before, none of my opponents had been able to draft Valor. Mm -hmm. So they had, 
very few resets. And when you're playing um, a character, when you know that you're not playing Valor and you are playing big dudes like Littlefinger, etc., and they don't Valor to get him off the board, despite the fact he appeared to be broken in every single game I got him out, you very quickly realise that your opponent isn't running a reset either that could really hurt him. Um, so it just allows you to effectively crap out your board um, and have bigger guys than them, more recon than them, more resources than them, um, and win. So it really was like playing a second edition Lannister deck out of the core set, where <laughs> it just wasn't enough resets to actually threaten the thing if you could get your big dude out and keep him there. Um, so that won me certain games. Um, I had a beautiful game against George Ankers in the first game. Um, George Ankers is a f- second edition player who has also never played first edition and we jokingly said at the end that one of us was going to win our pod and get to the final um, but we didn't really think that was actually going to happen and then it did um, so he drafted some things that I can't really remember um, George is a much better deck builder than me so he probably built a deck that actually worked but I managed to find Littlefinger early on and he didn't really have any up, any uh, any way to respond to him and I was also doing multiple challenges with Ariane at that point as well and he didn't really have a way to control her um, which allowed me to win the game especially I think I ran a plot called a game of thrones which differs from second edition in that it was basically gossip and lies um, where you didn't kneel um, on attack or defense um, for intrigue challenges um, so Ariane became a beast at that point where she would not kneel and do a two claim challenge on the intrigue stealthing past people um, and then on the power challenge she would do a two claim challenge as well but she would kneel for that so it allowed me to kind of use this incredibly impactful character in two challenges and pretty much put him out um, I then had a game against the fabulous Rowan where the major kind of uh, moment of of the match was where we got into a moribund situation, which was completely awful to the point where Rowan had to turn around and say, look, I'm going to tell you how this works because I think this is how it works. And then we'll just move on. Are you okay with that? And me at this point was five minutes of Rowan trying to explain to me how moribund work kind of developed Stockholm syndrome and just said, yeah, just get it over with. Can you, can you um, think, for, for my personal benefit, uh, and I'll probably cut this, can you remember what cards caused the issue? I can tell you what the main thing was, which okay. is probably why this is the bit that the viewers will want to hear. Okay. So there is a card called Zolo. Right. And Zolo's ability was that he can enter play. When he enters play, you move all the gold in an opponent's gold pool over to your own. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so he's pretty terrible for the most part because your opponent will normally spend all their gold. He doesn't have ambush text or anything like that. He can't come out of shadows or anything like that. So you have to play him and just hope that your opponent doesn't spend their gold. There's only one situation in which he's really good, which is when you are going first, when your opponent has flipped a particular river's plot, which is when it enters your used pile or when a river's plot is revealed, it then does its effect which is when revealed you gain four gold so the turn before the Marbon situation Rowan gained four gold I was first player I played Zolo and nicked all his gold which then allowed me to play other things that made him sad so my next part I think was on Dark Wings 
which is a plot that basically searches your deck for a cost-free character alone and puts it into play. And Rowan's plot was another Rivers plot that allowed each player to to choose a character and basically shuffle them into their deck or put them at the bottom of their deck. Yep. We got into this awful situation of I wanted to get Zolo back into my deck with Rowan's plot so that I could search for Zolo and play Zolo to steal the four gold that Rowan was going to get that turn. (laughs) Okay, the answer is you can't. (laughs) <laughs> no, and we, and we, yeah. we realised that after many, many, many <laughs> PhD style. I swear there's going to be a paper in an academic journal somewhere explaining why this doesn't work because it was so obtusely complicated. The example. Um, and I thought I, I thought I had a handle on Moribund. I thought I really did. I went into the tournament going, you know what Moribund is? If Moribund existed in second edition. If you had 15 lords and ladies, right, and core Joffrey Baratheon didn't have a limit and you got valid, you would win the game because Joffrey would gain 15 power. And I held on to that like a comfort blanket, <laughs> like I understood what Moribund was. And then this thing comes out of fucking nowhere and just slaps me about the head and goes, you think you understand first edition? Think again. Like, I felt like I just like failed. I've just walked into the exam hall with my pants around my ankle. Two, Everybody was just staring at me. Two years into playing first edition, um, I flipped under the Perilous of Sorrows, which is that river plot that moves things to the top of the deck, and mm. um, realised I didn't understand Moribund. <laughs> after two years of playing, because it's, for Moribund, for those who don't know, is when a card leaves play, it leaves, it stays in play um, until the end of the action window. So something that dies for claim wouldn't leave play if there was more in second edition, until after keywords had resolved. The key point about this is, and, and then once they are moribund and they are leaving play, they cannot go anywhere else unless there is a specific effect which changes their moribund destination, basically, which are pretty few and far between. Um, a good example of why moribund would be great is that it would stop the Benjin and Quentin interaction, because be- Quentin, uh, Benjin would be moribund, shuffle into deck, and therefore he couldn't be killed again by Quentin. Um, in this instance for you, Zolo becomes moribund top of deck, but he doesn't actually reach the deck until after all the <laughs> when revealed has been revealed. Right. So you would search your deck, you'd put a card into play, and that card would go into play and is therefore a valid top, a valid option to put on top of your deck because there's no moribund card go into play. He's, it's only when they leave play. Um, <laughs> but Zolo, if he was chosen, he would go on top of the deck after it was shuffled. Um, and when I wrote the draft rules crib sheet, I used at the Palace of Sorrows as an example, because there's another river plot which allows you to reveal the top card of your deck and add it to hand. And if you flip them in the right order, you choose who goes to the top of the deck, and then you reveal the card that would be under him, add it to your hand, and then he goes to the top of the deck. So... Yeah, that's a... So what, so what you said, that very convoluted explanation, Dave, is that I didn't read the rules primer fully and I should have been punished for it. And Basically, I, was. I specifically made mention <laughs> that plot card, but not that specific interaction. It's not an easy one, but uh, okay. yes, he is he is moribund and therefore he is not in the deck. This is yeah. why we have second edition. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like this. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, at least on Raven's Wings was a CCG card, so we didn't have to worry about that. Um, but yeah, carry on, carry on, Alex. Mm. Let's let's leave the rules confusion alone. No worries. Uh, I think we'll get back to the rules conclusion, to be honest. So, yeah, I had a wonderful game against Rowan. Um, it was a really, really n- nice game. Um, there was a lot of kind of uh, back and forth going on. Um, I was very, very aggressive um, because a lot of the neutral cards were surprisingly good. Um, and his deck had problems dealing with them, particularly Orel the Eagle. In that, I think he was playing Baratheon, but he was mainly going for the Tyrell cards. And I noticed that even worse than kind of Corset Tyrell, they didn't have a lot of military icons so oral was kind of oral was a card for reference that um for those who don't know um was um a card that when he was attacking um your opponent had to defend with at least two characters um or they couldn't defend the challenge um so yeah it it just managed to kind of get through that situation um i then had a third game um against a french player by the name of chronosis who had managed to draft a very very scary kind of Greyjoy deck and with all the relevant pieces um i run that entirely by playing the being able to read what the situation was um, and what I needed to play, so kind of basic card game instincts, but more importantly, because he didn't have Valor and he didn't have a way of getting Littlefinger off the board. And if I hadn't got Littlefinger in that game, I would have lost um, because there was clearly an evidence there of this person actually knows what he's doing with first edition, and I don't. But I have a broken card in draft, Dave. Uh, <laughs> And if your opponent doesn't have the right answers, there's nothing that you can do about that. Um, so that was my kind of rise to 1.0 glory, where I now feel kind of validated as a second edition player and can talk with the big dogs now. <laughs> now you know what Core Little Things does. Yeah, uh, indeed, yeah. And you um, ruined someone's day with Zolo. Uh, you know, You know what to do. Yeah, absolutely. And also the fact that I can go on um, Banter Behind the Throne and say to everybody else who's a second edition player, in case you didn't know, this is what this stupid first dead card does. Mm. It's, it's quite satisfying to do that, yeah. Look at all my it knowledge. <laughs> yes, indeed. Did you um, notice any mechanics while you were playing that you wanted to have added to second edition? Yeah. Uh, anything so there... that popped out like... So there are quite a few, um, and I'll probably go into them a bit more detail when I do the game between Dave, but that was just a bit of a whitewash, to be honest. Um, but the main one that I noticed was traded plots, and a lot of people are going to kind of put their spectacles on and go, hmm, we actually have traded plots now in uh, second edition, Alex, so I don't know what you're talking about. But what there was was there was a lot more interaction between plots that had specific traits on them and the cards and the plots themselves which kind of allowed you to tell different stories as the whole plot deck progressed and allowed them to have recurring effects so for instance there were these um, series of plots called the river trait which basically had run revealed effects and when you revealed a when you went that when that went into your used pile and you revealed another river's plot that river plot would trigger its run revealed effect and the plot and the run revealed effect of the last river's plot in your used pile. Have I said that correctly? That is correct. Yes. That is correct. 
Um, yeah, so um, I really, really like that. Um, I think that it was a really, really cool mechanic and can see how it helped deck building at a particular time in that it kind of gives you a set of plots that you want to play together that have a specific impact. Um, and it also gives your opponent and you a kind of like a mini game of knowing what the next type of plot is going to be, that you're going to have to deal with the when revealed effects of the plot you're currently facing and whatever your opponent flips into. So you've got this kind of weird um, kind of dynamic, like in the Zolo play um, against Rowan, where it was a case of, I know that he's going to get four gold next turn. Is there any way I can completely abuse this situation and this foreknowledge um, by trying to recycle Zolo around and things like that? Um, so I really, really enjoyed those. Um so I don't know if we want to talk about those plots because you guys have a bit more knowledge about that. Um, castle plots were another one, um, but I think the river plots is the most significant. Um, rivers were in a weird place because they had to be quite carefully balanced so that triggering them multiple times wouldn't just you wouldn't make you run away from, with the game. So most of them are quite yeah. tame, like uh, reveal the top card of your deck and draw a card, and then and yeah. then do a river. Out, or every player chooses a card and puts it on top of their deck, and then you do the river, or um, gain two gold, and then that one's interesting. So gain two gold, and then choose a river plot in your used pile and trigger it. Um, mm. So there's quite a few interesting ones, uh, none of which are bad, but they weren't as good as just running actual proper plots until they yeah. went to crossing the Mummer's Ford, which broke yeah. them because it was a draw one, and it was draw a card, well, reveal and add to your hand a card for each river in your used pile. So you would go. Draw river, any river to com- to copy the draw river, then Mummer's Ford to draw two cards, then any river to copy Mummer's Ford and draw three cards, and then your fifth river to copy Mummer's Ford and draw four cards, and yeah. then you would have Valor and one other plot, and that got silly. And then Mummer's Ford was both; it had its river trait removed and it was restricted. To cut, cut a long story short, Alex, rivers were shit. <laughs> Until they were broken, and then they were hilarious, and then they were restricted. <laughs> Which was the moral of the story for every first edition effect ever. <laughs> I was about to say that, pretty Tony. Summarise first edition. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened, right? Something would come along, it would be a bit shit, we would complain that it was shit, the designers would then make mm. it so not shit it was overpowered and broken, then <laughs> everyone else would about how overpowered and broken it was and restrict it and then we go back to square one indeed it's which is where we got that. to the second edition when the game got too full of broken shit I think <laughs> and then initial second edition was shit and now they're printing all the bollocks stuff <laughs> and we're back in a vicious cycle that will <laughs> yeah, yeah. appears to be how you design card games yeah, yeah. It's also other great British uh, public think. It's too sunny. I mean, <laughs> need it to be colder. Ah, oh, it's raining. Fuck you. That <laughs> could be mine. That was the kind of rivers plots. Um, castle plots were similar, and I actually really liked how. And we're getting some of this in second edition. How particular cards synergized with your um, with your plot piles. So there were these. Basically, House Aaron, any House Aaron card would synergize with a castle plot when it was revealed and do particular things. So it was kind of similar to what happens with Stone Drum and Kingdom plots. So we are beginning to see some of this in second edition, albeit in a very tame level, not to the extent of when a castle plot is revealed, you may choose and kill an opponent's character. 
Or, when a castle plot is revealed, this particular character does not kneel to attack or defend, and things like that, which I don't think we necessarily want to see back. But I like the idea of um, characters synergizing with um, particular plots, particularly when it's not just this plot is summer or winter, but um, perhaps potentially omen plots and other things like that. So I think that was a really cool mechanic that was more fully explored in first edition because it had a larger card pool, which I fully expect we'll see coming coming back more strongly into second edition um, and I would welcome I think it's really cool so you talked about the synergy um, of characters with castle plots but what about the castle plots themselves are they worth playing did you enjoy playing them I did now uh, the I only played with two of them um, now the castle plots if I if I remember correctly the most major one I can't remember what the um, the veil of rock and whatever it is um, did yeah, I can't remember what that did. I remember what Fallen from Favor did, which was it was a four six two plot, so it had pretty good stats from what I can tell. A two clay a two claim plot with those kind of stats seemed really pretty good. Um, you know, it would see play in first edition in second edition, so I presume it would see play in first edition, which had a much lower gold curve. The only downside was at the end of the um basically when it entered your used pile, I think, you had to choose and sacrifice a character. Uh, return a character to the bottom of your deck. Ah, uh, that was it. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was quite good. And was that the kind of theme of the castle plots where they had good stuff while they were out and then did something when they went entered your used pile, pretty much? All the others were You're bad to- plots that did stuff when they entered the used pile. Fallen yeah. from favor was the other way around, and it was good until it entered your used pile. Most of the others yeah. had delayed rewards. So Kings of Mabdon Vale was uh, an opponent discards a card and you draw a card when it enters your used path. That was it. Yeah, that was it. But it had fine stats, so that's that's why I included it. But I kind of liked that, that you had themes of plots that all worked in similar ways. So you would be rewarded through playing them together, etc. And I think I can see some benefit in those kind of plots, sets maybe coming back. Um, I don't know how you do them. I don't know how late we'd need to be in the card pool to do them. But I particularly think as the card pool gets more complicated, um, and I think as the card pool kind of diversifies, if you're ever going to get new players in, kind of getting the ability to go, here is a plot deck that is pretty much pre-made and works and goes in a particular order, and the ability to kind of build decks around how those orders will work and when you'll get particular benefits might be really, really cool. But as Tony was saying, um, first edition's biggest problem was that things like that would get released, get broken and get out of hand and get nerfed. Um, And I think, you know, there are lessons that need to be learned from even good mechanics that I fought, whereas Tony was saying they got a bit out of hand very quickly. I mean, it's clear it's clear that we are what? What, what were we in the third end of the third cycle, beginning of the uh, approaching the beginning of the fourth cycle? That we're saying, oh, you know, this happened in first edition and this got broken, etc. Um, what appears to have happened so far is that the designers have learned from what happened in first edition, where things went through that cycle of, oh, this is shit, this is shit, now it's broken, etc., etc. So they've obviously trying not to repeat the mistakes of history by Builders. trying desperately not to. Builders. You know? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we're getting to that point now. Um, I don't think that's, I don't think that's necessarily the same thing, but you know, other people, you know, other people's mileage will vary, I guess. 
Um, we haven't. There have no, nobody's printed anything. They haven't printed anything that is just immediately so fucking overpowered. It needs to go onto uh, the hallowed, you know, restricted list, which you know we may get, we may not get. Uh, I don't know how far down the car the car pool. Uh, we got a restricted list in first edition. I'm not that much of a first edition historian to kind of know exactly when everything kicked in, but uh, I think they've learned a lot of mistakes from first, uh, and that's why we have a kind of shiny new second. Yeah, and I, I would strongly agree with that. And I, I, th- I think Peel, that you're right that, that there are decks that are dominant at the moment, but there have been decks. I remember when we when I first started. Um, and I remember a very famous episode of, of Banter Behind the Throne where a brother of Dave Bamford played um, Lanny Dragon and did very well with it. And there was a long, long talk about how second edition was in a pretty dire state because of the unstoppable reign of Lannister. And while that was true for a time, and a lot of people complaining about it, it sorted itself out as the card pool expanded. And I still think there's sufficient scope in the design of second edition for, you, for it to be sorted out without the need to restricted list yet. Um, because we've seen it as the meta's kind of evolved very, very quickly, where we are entering this stage of everybody's playing political disaster just as a way of controlling uh, locations and things like that. So I, I think there are sufficient responses in the design of second edition as in and of itself to kind of police the meta for the moment without the need for restricted list. But we might obviously need one later down the line. We haven't quite hit the perils of infinite loops yet, yeah. which we did a number of times in the first. You know, where yeah, cards that didn't get limits got into, you know, terrible, terrible situations where basically people could play a bunch of cards and essentially sit there and go, I've won. Yeah. Mm. You have come up with the... You know, that... I was just going to say, you did come up with a job proposal um, where if they did ever need your advice, Tony, I do remember they were going to send the cards to you. Uh, (laughs) And if you thought it could have got spontaneous, out of hand and a little bit too hectic, you were just going to go, limit, just that was it. (laughs) Send it back with limited Well, yeah. <laughs> They've been doing reasonably well with this so far. Uh, but, you know, there's still a couple of cards that I can't help noticing they yeah. are uh, forgetting to put a fucking limit on. And it's, it's, start, it's starting to make me angry already, people. Change the subject, mm. please. <laughs> <laughs> so, to change the subject... Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought the trade plots were good. Um, I could see a argument for them coming back. They'd have to be carefully monitored. Um, a more divisive mechanic that I very much liked was the no agenda aspect of it. Um, and I know that a bunch of second edition players from London at this point will all shout, well, you can play no agenda if you really want to. There was a thrill in playing cards that synergized, and I think this is more my point, it's less about playing agenda and it's more about playing cards that synergize with the agenda that you're running in that it gives you modules that allow you to deck build with um, and gives you a very clear focus when you're trying to build a deck. And obviously there's always going to be fun of going, I'm playing this agenda, is there any way that I can kind of manipulate cards other than the most obvious way of doing things to make sure that that's moving forward? But I think there was some real kind of strength when I was playing with particular cards 
cards that you could only really play them if you were in effect um, taking a step back and giving your deck less focus but you were introducing cards that were potentially more powerful that would be harder to play but would synergize with your particular choice of uh, agenda or lack thereof. So a good example of this, um, I think, um, was one that I played with on the day, which was Alaris, um, who was basically a Citadel neutral character, who was reaction after you lose a challenge. Um, ch- as a defending player, I believe, um, choose a um, an opponent, um, characters and a challenge type and choose an opponent that character cannot defend or attack declare defenders or attackers for challenge types of that type until the uh, end of the end of the phase he was very strong or she was he was very very strong well who can say <laughs> um, who knows who is Alaris the Sphinx yeah, he he's quite an interesting one because, as you say, he is he only works if you're not running an agenda. So he even forces you not to run character agendas. So which is fine in some instances because you've got the uh, Lannister decks that only ran one copy of Kevin, for instance. Mm. Um, but if you need the Task Prince, you're yeah. doomed. Or more importantly, <laughs> the Kindly Man, or Quentin, or um, fuck me, the uh, Aaron Gray, Aaron Greyjoy, damn. Um, yeah. All of which were build around cards yeah. uh, that you ran three of, um, and a search plot. So um, yeah, I think I think that was my main takeaway from the day is that is that my my takeaways from first edition might seem fairly general and quite vague because to be honest, I didn't really experience first edition. I experienced a kind of taster of first edition through the medium of draft, which means that there will be cards that I just haven't experienced but have a tertiary awareness of, in that I know that character agendas were very, very strong in the form of Quentin and some of the other characters you've mentioned. The the, the thing that I'm more interested in is exploring a no agenda space or exploring cards that synergize with particular agendas, um, a soft version of which would be the phrase who although they're not telling you to do it because they all synergize off the third challenge you initiate each round you probably play them with lord of the crossing you don't need to but you probably do um so there comes a question therein of um i might like to see cards that synergize and can only really be played with specific agendas um, which I think would be interesting, but it would have to be a very late game design space, um, similar to when first edition got to the point of um, just needing new mechanics to spice things up. Yep. Um, and I'm not sure we might ever get there because of rotation and how that will affect the uh, the state of the card pool um, and learning lessons from other games, both first edition and uh, Netrunner. There's a lot of risk in kind of continuously introducing paracrete and new mechanics into the game and how that will affect things. So I wouldn't want to see character agendas come back anytime soon um, because I like the clean the clean makeup of you start with a faction and an agenda or not an agenda if you choose to, but you just might have characters that synergize with particular agendas. I think that's a perfectly safe design space for them to move towards okay. late game. It was uh, it was cycle eight that the character agendas came out in first edition, um, but they were a lot bolder with their uh, mechanics, the introduction of mechanics earlier on. 
um, Cycle 2 saw the uh, summer and winter seasons, which was a lot more um, a lot more prominent. If you were running a winter deck, you were running a winter deck. You're not just running winter plots. It is serious business. Um, and yeah. Less so with summer, but still, you you know, you know, really had to invest in, in those themes. Um, to the and then to the extent three, break. Sorry? To the extent where people would break it. I mean, I heard a story over the weekend about a particular attachment called the Copper Link that yeah. you could attach to a rave to make it not a raven and change the, yeah nonsense don't, don't mention the links yeah <laughs> we firstly we let's not get into maesters uh, secondly yes no. there was a very short period where you could shuffle your opponent's faction card into their deck um so yeah. until they <laughs> fixed the carrion bird and like added a, a fact entry to say that you couldn't interact with the house card basically um mm. because that was fucking stupid uh, but yeah, again, cycle three introduced shadows, so they were you know quite early on. They were just yeah. you know completely game changing um, mechanics straight away, which yeah. for better and for worse, I'm sure, because shadows was very powerful and certainly yeah. encouraged Lannister decks that were already dominant at that point in the game, which seems familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, okay. So the, were there any more um, particular mechanics that you liked, disliked? Uh, uh, well, I can get into the ones that I didn't like, um, because to be honest, my experience of first edition was generally quite positive in that I found it fairly similar to second edition, with a couple of exceptions. Um, I hate Moribund. <laughs> I think it's te- I think it was a terrible design choice, and I'm not qualified in any way to say this. I don't design games for a living, but I'm so glad that they got rid of it in second edition and i know that there are going to be a bunch of first edition to players who are going to start sending me hate mail because of this because there will be somebody out there who is uh who is sick enough to love moribund i love moribund it was more of a it was it wasn't so much a design choice as it was a necessity really because Mm. they printed effects on cards that did things uh you know when they died basically or when they you know it, it was it was necessity. They didn't kind of go, tell you what, we've got this fantastic thing called Marvin. Uh, yeah. This is going to be a great addition to the game. It, it just yeah. it, it kind of crept out of necessity. Actually, just snowballed uh, to the point of uh, well, to the point of a reboot. Really, I'm not saying it's the yeah. only reason that the thing got rebooted, but uh, I think everyone took a kind of massive, you know, massive sigh of relief when uh, they realised they would have to deal with, uh, uh, you know, Marvin Top of Deck or Marvin Shadows bullshit. Anymore, yeah. but uh, but yeah, it wasn't wasn't so much a choice; it just had to happen. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, to talk about some of the other things I didn't like, um, now this was just my experience with the draft pool. Um, I didn't really see the point of shadows, and I'm aware that a lot of people it's very dear to them as a part of first edition. Um, I think ambush pretty much does the same thing, and I'm mm-hmm. probably aware of some of the intricacies because I didn't play with a fully realised card called <laughs> And also, the only... Right, for a bit of context, the only Shadows card I drafted all day was the Shadow Cat. Oh, you had Boris Blunt. <laughs> oh, sorry, I did, yeah. Sorry, I did, yeah. I forgot about him. And he won me a game as well. In which case, in, in, in that case, you were perfectly titled to your opinion. <laughs> if that's the only Shadows card you drafted. <laughs> And I, I, saw I, I saw some of them. I saw like um, you know, 
I didn't read him that closely, but Shadow's little finger where he shadows 10 or something. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm, that's got to be powerful if you're going to put 10 gold to play it out. Obviously, you never did. There, there's context. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just something that just it never really uh, it never really seemed that important to me. But um, I can see why guys liked it. What I would be interested to hear from you guys is why you don't think that Ambush could ever do the same thing. It's a generation ambushes not just for his actions. So, you know, we used to be used to be able to ambush at any point during the game. That's you had influence to do it. Right? Ambush used to be uh, based on uh, based on influence, which we don't have anymore. So you used to be able to pop things in left, right, and centre from uh, from you know in various phases throughout the game. Uh, and shadows to a certain extent worked in every phase as well. Ambush in second edition is kind of a weird kind of castrated version. Of yeah. ambush from first edition is there's literally one phase you can do it, and you need gold to do it. So you're restricted kind of quite heavily as to kind of where and when you can ambush. Uh, but it was much freer. You were between ambush and shadows in first edition. You could bring things in and out of play all over the place, which is what made it a lot more kind of technically kind of challenging to kind of keep track of what potentially could be happening every single phase. One of the one of the key points of why Shadows was great is that you invest in Shadows over the course of the turn. Yeah. Um, so ambush, great. You draw the card, you save the gold, you ambush it. With Shadows, you pay some now, you pay some in three turns. You leave that card in Shadows for three turns if you need to. You bring it out by paying the rest of its cost on your valor turn. You bring it out um, after a march to the wall. You know you don't have to worry about it. Uh, you can pay two for your Varus, and then when an ally comes along, you pay the last one to discard the... bring him out shadows and discard the ally. Like, um, the investment and the decision of when to bring out shadows is a lot more a lot more difficult than the ambush decision, which can be quite straightforward. So that's one of... That's, that's my key takeaway from it, is that some effects serve better as ambush, some are more interesting as shadows. And why That's they are right. distinct things still, um, yeah. because they still have the same surprise effect as ambush, although they are at the beginning of the phase rather than act during an action yeah. window. Um, but yeah, the investment potential over many turns really plays into my favourite, generally favourite kind of game, which is the long, the long plan games. Um, so although Martel didn't have a staggering number of um, Shadows cards that were playable towards the end. Uh, I do enjoy the kind of I'll make my plans now and then they will come to fruition later. Um, yeah. It was quite quite fun. And I can see that, and I, I probably didn't get that from. But to be perfectly frank, just playing with shadow cards that their primary purpose was to turn up in the challenges phase, like an ambush card was. Yes. Um, so yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah, I, I wouldn't mind it coming back. Um, I just didn't see what the fuss was all about, but that was more to do with the draft ball. Um, things that I didn't like, I don't like limited economy. Or rather, I don't like non-limited economy. Because <laughs> otherwise I just took a massive bump on second edition. Um, no, I didn't like um, non-limited economy because it just meant that you you could effectively get way ahead of your opponent at an early game and there was a bit of that in mine in your game Dave where very early on you saw a lot of non-limited economy and I didn't that's true although you had now, it turn one. Anything. you had <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I did have a board turn one, and then you valid, and I was sad. Yeah. And then you were pot sniper. Let's let's not get into the stage of who had better cards when, Dave. <laughs> not get into that when you had five restricted cards in your deck, but never mind. At least five restricted cards in my deck. At least, sorry. Lovely. Um, my Viper didn't get a single power all day, so... Yeah. You know, there you go. Impressive. Sad. Because he got milked. Yeah, that's the only time I played him. Um, okay, so were there any other particular mechanics, or uh, shall we move on? I think move on. That's pretty much it from... I don't think there was anything uh, too major. No, okay, so I think that's a pretty good summary. Um, I don't. Was there anything particular in our game in the final that you wanted to mention? Um, uh, the, fir- the first turn I opened retail to your incre- your very impressive board uh, to try and yeah. hope that you would put some claim soak out, and then I just uh, passed my marshalling basically and dropped my valor turn too. So that's always nice. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, um, which you can do in first edition because of course uh, retail doesn't have a reserve. Yeah. Oh, Dave, you got the valor, did you? Um, there's two valors per pod, and I got one of them, yeah. Ooh, so there did you know I had the second? Um, there was, Tom Beskers had one of the valors in my, the other valor in my pod. I don't know okay. who had the valors in the other pod. I yeah. think Ian had one. So, Bambi had one. Ah, there you go. Bambi and Ian. I think yeah. I can very quickly summarize what I thought about our game, mm-hmm. which is I went in, to our game after playing against a bunch of very nice people and thinking I, I think First Ed is a pretty solid game I can see there are a couple of minor reasons why it got to reboot but you know it seems like a fairly well balanced game in draft form oh I'm looking forward to playing against Dave this should be a tight game oh wait a minute he's drafted every bullshit broken card in the entire game in his deck <laughs> And I'm now getting a real taste of why first edition needed to be rebooted when you can play the Red Viper, a murdering Daenerys who basically does what Miri does with all this nonsense going on about doing multiple power challenges at the same time, whilst, you know, cards are flying in and out of your hand. And I'm pretty much sat there going, I think I'm playing a second edition deck because that's what I know how to draft and build for. And you've just made a monster. Yeah, that probably happened. Yeah, and (laughs) absolute props to you for making a monstrous draft deck. Absolute not hats off to whoever you drafted with, particularly looking at you, Sam Pigden. Sam for not hate drafting. Yeah, (laughs) not hate drafting some of the nonsense that you got. Um, But but yeah, I I went into the game going first edition is pretty good, and went out the game going this game needs a reboot. I really hope it does, and somebody tells me where I can buy it in a local, friendly local gaming store. (laughs) (laughs) Well, have we got the product for you, Alex? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) The World Championship deck is just your intro point. (laughs) (laughs) It's got got a card that's just like Littlefinger. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to keep this joke running now and play it at Warbore, (laughs) even though you've done it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay, um, well, I think that's, uh, that brings our, our overlong first edition chat to an end, I think. No worries. Um, there's just one thing I'd like to say. Thank you very much to everybody at um, Battle of Backwater for the events. It was all really, really good. Um, and I would very much like to come back and play Highlander Draft next year 
if you choose to run it. I thought it was a good fun experience. Good, good. I've uh, I've recently bought some bullshit to put in it. Um, right. There were a couple of uh, cards that before I started playing were banned. Banned uh, cards. And then they went out of out of print. They were in the old chapter pack distribution where you used to get the unique characters you got one of, and then all the other cards you got three of. So yeah. it was completely ridiculous. Um, so when they went out of print, eventually when they came back into print in the proper chapter pack format, uh, they were errated completely. And that was Jack and Hagar and um, Compelled by the Rock. So I've got hold of the original Buster's shit versions. And they oh, no. me going into the pool. <laughs> uh, which, is, which is great fun. Believe you phoned Jack. Can't yeah. believe you phoned. Yeah, I, I was vigilant, vengeful. Can yeah. the whole lot? He had all the, house specific, all the house specific keywords. Yeah. Um, and then compelled yeah. by the rock was some bullshit, which was like choose an attachment, move it to wherever you want, and take control yeah, of it. Let's find out like next that. year, Dave. Let's it leave was, that it, it was silly yeah. anyway. Yeah, well, thank you, Wolfgang, because he still sells singles of first edition cards on the <laughs> website. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> from there, of course he did. Yeah. yeah. Which is ridiculous, because yeah. I bought singles there before, and I completely forgot. Yeah. Um, right, okay, so that was uh, Alex uh, talking about his time with first edition, and that is all we have time for this week, guys. Am I like signing off as if it's like some good night thing? You can sign off however you like, Bill. It's your episode. I, I thought I didn't think we were doing sign offs. Well, we didn't. We didn't do sign offs when Craven wanted sign offs. When he <laughs> stopped pushing for them, I became less opposed to them. I do like I do like the the stop. But if you want to sign off, that's fine. I tell you what, we're gonna do. You've we're gonna do one, a good do night it. for me. If you don't have one, we'll just end when I finish the sentence. <laughs> 